Hey there, Daddy-O. Welcome to Downtown Coolsville, population three. This episode is guaranteed to flip your lid. I promise it's going to be better than a backseat bingo session with your favorite dolly or dreamboat. I'm Troy Sauer. Pat Anderson. <laughs> and Sammy from the GGTMC. And this is Not a Bomb. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode. Let me start over because I said nude. <laughs> Did you say nude? I think I said nude. Okay. Oh, I just realized you. Have I mean, you're supposed to like imagine the audience is naked to help you, you know, not be so nervous. But Troy, I don't know if I signed up for this. <laughs> I am so excited to be talking to both Brad and Sammy tonight, guys. How are you doing? Good. Howdy. Howdy. Yeah. This, this Look, I'm super excited because last week we messed up and we, dude, yeah, big time. Dude, the amount of people that have reached out and said like, you guys are right. That movie's terrible. Or like, I thought about watching that movie and then I saw that you all were doing it and said, don't watch it. So I didn't watch it. So we did a public service, Troy. I, I think so. However, I've also gotten a lot of texts and emails of, of people just saying you've done nothing but make me want to watch it. If, if it's that bad, I have to see it. And I've been warning everybody. It's it's not one of those movies that's so bad it's good. It's it's just terrible. Like it's going to waste your time. I, I don't know, Sammy. Um, have have you seen Supernova? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I can't recommend it to anybody. I I don't really care for it. I mean, I could probably like it a bit more than you guys do, but only because of the the badness of it. Well, but uh, I would not recommend it to anybody except for fellow bad cinema enthusiast. But, but would you recommend it to bad? You know, no, I'd recommend uh, about fifteen other bad movies. Yeah, okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, they're more. You fun. all just did like uh, Event Horizon, and we've done Event Horizon. Yeah, Event Horizon is a hundred times better than Supernova. Watch oh, that. Way beyond the door, beyond the door. We did Beyond the Door. Yes. Now that is yeah. a really good bad movie. That is bonkers. I mean, you're you're you guys did that episode, and I'm I'm telling you. Uh, you and Todd hit it just perfectly. Everything about that film, you are spot on, and it is one of the worst movies ever. But it, you cannot take your eyes off of it. It's so crazy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It never bores you. It's just, that's beyond the door. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you gotta check it out, Brad. If you haven't watched it yet. So greatest, greatest banana peel scene in history. Oh yeah. When, when you guys started talking about it, I felt just my skin crawl because I remember I, it burns in your brain once you see it the first time. Like, it's, what is going on? It's so crazy. So tonight, though, I feel like we're redeeming ourselves after last week, and we are kicking off uh, sort of a themed month where this month, Brad, what, what's the theme for this month? It is sci-fi animated films. Sci-fi animated films. And the one that we're kicking it off with is 1999's The Iron Giant. And this is one, as soon as uh, this is this is my pick for this week, I immediately texted you, Sammy, and just said, you have to be on this one. Um, si- simply because all three of us are dads. Um, bunch of dads. Bunch of dads. Dad, we have our kids. The dad cast. 
the dad cast. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought it would be super interesting to talk about this film amongst us. But more importantly, this film references... Because it has such a good dad relationship in it. Oh, it does. <laughs> but this film has tons of references to 50s and 60s science fiction films, probably mostly the 50s. <sighs> and I can't think of two other people that, to me, know more about 50s and 60s science fiction films than you guys. That's a complete lie. You are lying to the No, I, I think of it this way. Brad, you love your science fiction films. And Sammy, I think you've talked about this before on your show. A, a lot of people just don't talk about films like pre 1970s. Yeah. And and yeah. they forget about all these great films that came out in the 40s, 50s. And, and and again, the thing I love about the the GGTMC is you will go back and cover a lot of these gems that people have just forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I find it so weird that, you know, more podcasts just don't go back and talk about, you know, movies pre 70s. Yeah. Yeah. It happens quite a bit nowadays. I've noticed it's more prevalent than ever. It seems for at most podcasts, they late sixties to current, they really don't go back much further anymore. And it's kind of sad in a way because there's so much good stuff back in the thirties uh, and forties and fifties and even the early sixties. And uh, science fiction was huge in the fifties, uh, kind of coinciding with the, uh, the atomic bomb and the fear of that. And, you know, Godzilla and there's so much, there's so much stuff you can talk about, but science fiction was probably as big in the fifties as it probably was post star Wars for at least like 10 years after that, maybe. Oh, absolutely. I agree. It comes, it comes and goes, right? Yeah. They kind of took the the radio serials from the thirties and forties and then morphed those into, you know, movies in the fifties yeah. and sixties, um, taking those ideas and bringing them to the screen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, took people to, I mean, this is cheesy, but to other worlds and to see other <laughs> things. And I, again, I think a lot of that stuff holds up in the fifties and the sixties way more than people would think. Yeah. Um, you know, film is weird because like a book that was written in 1950s relatively holds up pretty well. I mean, obviously there were video games in the fifties, but if you go back and play something like Pong or Pac-Man, some of that stuff holds up better than others. But even, you know, now that we're getting things like they're remaking Dead Space and it's like Dead Space came out, I think, like 12 years ago. Um, and I went back and played that. And it's like that holds up really well. But if there was, you know, Dead Space couldn't have happened 40 years ago. Um, so even like that medium speeds up quite a bit. But I just feel like stuff from the 50s and 60s holds up really well. Again, a lot of it's giant monsters on strings or guys in rubber suits, but that kind of plays into the fun of it. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with just our natural fear of not only the unknown, but also, you know, the, the big bomb. I mean, I mean, a lot of it comes from that. And obviously we don't worry about that as much now, but I think that uh, it's always kind of there in the back of our minds, whether we want to admit that or not. Yeah. My favorite thing about those films is, you know, science there's we're still learning at that time period and the science that comes out of those films sometimes is so ludicrous that it's <laughs> awesome but i thought as just having a little fun because you guys to me are experts in this genre we would have a contest Dude, if we go over 20 if we go over 20 i'm gonna be so embarrassed <laughs> so we're we're gonna have a little contest between you guys i i picked out 20 maybe 21 
trivia questions about science fiction films from the 50s and 60s. And I want to see, so Brad, you're defending our honor. So it's not a bomb podcast versus the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema podcast. We're, we're doing a throwdown here. Um, wow. you, you guys really haven't done much trash talk uh, lately. Do you, do you want to throw something out there right now before we get started? Uh, no, we're good. I If I felt a little bit more confident in myself, maybe I would, but... Uh, I'm about to drop the A bomb, boy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, Sammy's you better it. check yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is intense already, folks. Uh, yeah. Need to check my drink. Yeah. This is a this is a dad cast after all. Right. So, Sammy, you're our guest. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first. Okay. So the way this is gonna work is I'm gonna ask you a question, and if you get it right, point for you. Now, if you don't know or you get it wrong, then Brad gets a chance to answer, and we're gonna go back and forth. Okay. Oh, okay. So, you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be, Troy. Okay. So, Sammy. Also known as the Trollenberg Terror, this 1958 British film had an unusual movie monster, a large eye terrorizing residents of a town in Switzerland. By what other name is this film known? (laughs) I know this movie, and I can't think of the title. So, we're talking Uh, Switzerland, 1958... Mm. The Trollenberg Terror. I'm drawing a blank. I'm not going to hold us up. Okay. You're passing to Brad? I'm passing to Brad. Brad. I actually know this. 1958. Trollenberg. Crawling Eye. Oh, my goodness. Brad gets a point. Holy cow. There you go. I should have came prepared Thanks. with sound effects. I'm sorry. We're, we're an yeah. underproduced podcast, and, and oh. we have the technology. I just haven't put stuff on there. Okay. I, I knew the answer to that one. And couldn't, yeah, I could not remember the title. Have you guys seen The Crawling Eye? I have. Yes. Okay, yeah, yes. fantastic recommendation. So, hey, folks, if you get anything out of this segment of the show, just start making a list of these films if you haven't seen them because they're a lot of fun. All right, Brad, next question to you. So, Sammy, if he doesn't get this, you have a chance to steal it, okay? All right. So, Brad, in 1957's The Monster That Challenged the World, giant mollusk monsters attack which state? Giant mollusk monsters. They're attacking. They challenge the world. They start with one state. California. Oh, my goodness. California. Way to go. You, you guys aren't looking on your phones or anything, are you? No. Nope. We're good? Hands okay. Up. Hands up. Um, where we stand right now. Brad has gotten two points. Sammy is at zero, but Sammy, this is your comeback. Here, here we go. You ready? Okay, we'll, we'll see about that. Okay, here we go. So what ultimately kills the Martians in 1953's The War of the Worlds? Is it the common cold or is the flu? Judges? Ju- yes, we're going to take that. It's the bacteria in our atmosphere, which can also be known as the common cold. Very good. All right, so you're on the board there. Way to go, Sammy. Which, why would they come? It's kind of like science. Like (laughs) 75% of our world is made up of water, and water is the thing that, whatever. For the record, I I love that movie. The Tom Cruise movie is awesome, too, though. Oh, I love the Tom Cruise movie. I like the Tom Cruise, yeah. It's really, really good. Okay, so, Brad, we're on to question four. You ready? So, two to one here. You you could increase your leader. Sammy can come back and tie this one. Based on a short story by George Worthing Yates, this film about giant mutant ants on a path of destruction is the first of many such films dealing with the monsters and nuclear testing. Which film is it? Is it them? Oh my gosh. You are so right. It is them. Uh, now I knew, I knew that one though. Yeah, that, <laughs> one was, that one was one of the easier. Okay. 
I believe when that got released uh, that year, it was one of Warner Brothers' highest grossing films. That just started the whole giant monster trend. Okay, Sammy, you can can come back on this one. No, you know this one. I know you know this one. Um, Let's see. Who stars as The Thing in 1951's The Thing from Another World? Uh, it's Arnes. Arnes, is that his last name? Yes, right? we'll, we're going to give it to you. James Arnes, right. <laughs> James Arnes, yeah. That's correct. Couldn't remember his first name. It's too common. James is way too easy. James so. Arnes plays a big carrot that comes to the Arctic. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what you guys think. So it's my daughter's favorite film of all time. Yeah, yeah. I've heard her say that, which is pretty impressive. I always love George Romero's uh, kind of a critique of that film, which is it's a great movie about opening doors. <laughs> is that the one where they they like literally catch the dude on fire and he run, he jumps through the window into the snow oh that that whole sequence yeah. when uh, basically they i know aliens borrows you know from that uh when they are doing the uh pulses for the aliens i mean it's it's a fantastic sequence but the fact that they put um a stunt person on fire i mean they're dealing with fire in an enclosed room Everything's catching on fire, and then this guy jumps out the window, and they're trying to put the fire out. I'm I'm surprised people didn't die in that yeah. sequence. Well, it's alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So it just it burns the alcohol, and then it's it goes just down. super yes. impressive. Yes. you yes. know, for that film. Oh wow, this is this is getting three intense. To so it's three to two. All right, okay. this is close. Okay, well, we haven't missed one yet. Between the two of us, we haven't. missed I know one this yet. is impressive. I I told you, you guys would know this. Okay, so where do we? So we're downhill from here. We're with you, right, Brad? All right, here we go. Yeah. One of the best sci-fi films of the early 1950s was an eerie depiction of what might happen if an alien intelligence took control of our minds. Picture a hill with sinking sand, an alien head encased in glass, and a little boy waking from a dream that starts all over again. Which sci-fi film is it? Oh, boy. Uh. Did we stump you on this one? Do you know? All right. All right, I'm going to have to call time now, Brad. Okay. Give me an answer. Uh... It, yeah, okay, now, Rick, uh, excuse me, Sammy, your, your turn to jump in. and what? I'm going to take take a guess. I'm okay. totally guessing here. Let's say Invaders from Mars. Ding, ding, ding. There you go, Invaders okay. from Mars. Yeah. Sammy. Which also has a very solid remake that people don't give enough credit. Uh, was that Toby Hooper? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a fantastic, fantastic remake, too. Oh my God! It's all tied up. I'm always better if I have a year. That way, I, my mind can like eliminate things. Okay. You just say. Eh. Well, hey, you snooze, you lose, right? I know. It's all tied up right now. Sammy, Sammy Again, has tied if it. If we up. get through all, if we get through all of this with answering, if I don't care who wins, I'll be yeah. incredibly <laughs> impressed if we answer every one of these. We've okay. not been stumped yet. So. That's true. Oh now the next question is yours, Sammy. So don't blow it. All right. You could you could take the lead on this. Just uh, hung myself. Okay. In the film, It, The Terror from Beyond Space, from 1958, an unknown life form stows away on a rescue ship from which planet? It, The Terror from Beyond Space. And the It has a has an exclamation mark out after I'm it. I'm just going to say you. Mars. I'm oh, my Mars. goodness. Yeah. Sammy the takes the planet. lead. It's from Mars. Yeah. Uh, I believe that was an MGM science fiction. That uh, That is a fantastic film. Uh, hey, I mean, you haven't really named a bad film yet. <laughs> I know these are these are great. Well, what's what's crazy is the watching the Iron Giant, um, and we'll talk about this. Has made me go back and sort of reevaluate and watch some of these older films. So, 
yeah. this it's is cool. just fun I, going it, through it. Made me, it made me watch a more modern science fiction movie on your and Randy's recommend. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. Sputnik, right? Sputnik, yeah. Oh, God, such a good film. Very old school uh, science fiction movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, we, sh- we should pause right now and thank Randy for recommending that because uh, he told me about it and I immediately bought it. And it was sitting there, and um, I, I got to say, Randy yeah. is rarely wrong on any of his recommendations. So that yeah, was good. Very good. Very good stuff. Okay, Brad, you can come back and tie this up. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Which 1954 sci-fi film featured a scaly creature known as Gilman, discovered by a group of scientists during an expedition to the Amazon jungle? That's got to be creature from the black lagoon yes it is brad ties it up we are at four two four brad and sammy neck and neck this is this is tense guys good film in my opinion that's a masterpiece that is an absolute masterpiece um i'll say this between that and the wolfman those are my two favorite universal monsters. i'm 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 on board with you and another another thing we don't hit on is like a lot of these films run somewhere between 70 and 85 minutes so they're not like you know, in, in nowadays that's like half a movie, but you know, back in the day you're getting a three act film in 80 yep. minutes. And, and I would say those 80 minute films sometimes are more entertaining than the CGI blockbusters that run three yeah, hours. Not, there's so. no fat or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Sammy, here we go. This is, four this to is, four. yeah, it's four to four. All right. How many eyes does the alien have in it came from outer space, which is a classic. Fantastic film. It's available on Blu-ray, 2D and 3D version, but it came from outer space, has a creature, an alien. How many eyes does it have? I'm just going to take a guess and say, because I don't know the answer. Um, I'm going to say one. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, it's just a big giant eye. It's just a big yeah. giant eye that's kind of like a person with a big giant eye. It's a fantastic film. Comes out it of is. a cave. Oh yeah! All this is all this is doing is making me want to say, "Can we record tomorrow so I can go watch these movies?" <laughs> we may have to. We may have to for Halloween. Just do like a special edition and throw like five movies and just watch them. Oh my gosh! Okay, Brad, time to tie it up with the next question. You ready to go? Yes. Okay. A nuclear explosion near the Arctic Circle unleashes a dinosaur-like creature that terrorizes the eastern coast of the United States. In this film, based on a short story by sci-fi author Ray Bradbury, with special effects by Ray Harryhausen, name this 1953 film. You said Arctic? Yes, a nuclear explosion near the Arctic Circle unleashes a dinosaur-like creature that terrorizes the eastern coast of the U.S. So that's that's out where I live. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's based on a short story by Ray Bradbury. And the special effects were done by Ray Harryhausen. This is a pretty famous film. It came out in 1953. 1953. We've got the beast from 20,000 fathoms. Oh, what? Is that your answer? Yeah. That's the correct answer. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. Lord here. I don't we've think got, I would have gotten that one. We've so got, through I got it. 10 questions and neither one of you have missed one yet. I'm well, no, we, we've missed, but we've combined. We combined. Have, yeah, I'm combined. talking combined. We just stop that. We're it's tied up. No, by five. Just call it. No, call no. The pressure's off. No, yeah. you can't have two number ones. That's an 11. We got to have a winner. All right, here we go. Sammy, your turn. Oh boy. Okay. The 1956 film about 
a giant seat of pods brought in by trucks to small California town is one of the best science fiction films of the 50s. What film is this? Invasion of the Body Snatchers? That is yes. correct. Invasions of the Body Snatchers. All right. Okay. So Sammy pulls that by gonna one. Argue, I'm going to argue there's not a bad version of that film. <laughs> uh, so even I'm, though it was it Abel Ferrari did Body Snatchers? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, like that. I, I even like the Wachowski brother produced one with Daniel Craig and Nicole. Oh, Kevin. the invasion. Like that that's the, the one invasion. I have not seen. I that's the one I haven't seen. I'll have to check that. So you you would rep check for that, that one. I'll rep for it, yeah. Okay. All right. All right, here we go, Brad. You you can tie this up. Right now it's six five. Uh in what category did nineteen fifty three's The War of the Worlds win an Academy Award? Ooh. Okay. Deep cut here. Yeah. What what award? Yes. They won an Academy Award, War of the Worlds in 1953. What did it win for? I mean, special effects would be did they do special effects then? But it's an adaptation. Troy. We we gotta um, talk about our movie tonight, so you gotta make an answer here. <laughs> We're gonna spend everything. <laughs> Pick an there answer. You What's your gut say? Let's go. Come on, Brad. We got you didn't have the, the power of editing. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Best adaptation. No, incorrect. I'm sorry, Brad. That is wrong. Sammy, you have a chance to steal this one and then take the lead by two. You know, we talked about this on our show, and man, it's between two categories, and I don't know which one. I can't recall which one I talked about. I'm going to say this. I'm just going to guess and say it was a a special Oscar for effects. Yes, but you are correct. It was special, best visual yeah. effects. That was it. Wow. It might have been it might have been one of the first, I think. It might have been one of the first or something. I can't I, remember. I think you're right. It surprised me because towards I think Brad's logic, I was thinking, well, 1953 would they have had best visual effects, but in fact, that's what it won the Academy Award for. Yeah, my second guess was sound, but then I remembered deep cut here they stole the sound from the ants sound in them oh that's right yeah <laughs> so wow. it's now seven it's now seven five seven five you'll come back has two points okay <laughs> you'll come back um all right not much bourbon left here not much bourbon left here. <laughs> okay sammy this is your question your secret stuff it's sammy's secret stuff you, yeah. you could come up and uh, make this a three-point lead so which 1956 sci-fi film is a loose retelling of Shakespeare's The Tempest. I just wish oh. everybody could see these facial <laughs> reactions. Yeah, think, because most of these I know, but it's Sammy like Sammy was having an epileptic seizure on camera, just shaking his head and, oh, goodness. Oh, 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 oh. Brad's oh. making O sounds. Like Brad knows. I, I don't have an answer. Okay, have- Brad, you going to steal this one? Forbidden Planet. That is correct. Forbidden Planet. Ah. Holy cow. Ah. One of my favorites. <laughs> I know. See, I this is why I'm so impressed with you guys, because when I was putting this together, I, I, I was the same way. I'm like, I know the answer to this, but unless you give me multiple choice, I probably couldn't give it. So that's what makes yeah. this even harder is you guys are pulling this out of thin air. So yeah, there was a time maybe when like certain film buffs we love, I could probably pull these things right out. But that time has passed. It's amazing. I'm telling you, I am in awe of you two. I knew this would be great. Okay, so, Brad, your question. Yes. In which 50s sci-fi Cold War story does a former 
Nazi scientist now working for the Soviets beams signals that God is on Mars. This was an interesting one. I, I totally forgot about this film. But it's a Cold War story. Former Nazi working for the Soviets is beaming signals that God is on Mars. Can I have a director? That's <laughs> <laughs> all I got. <laughs> uh, just just that story element coming out of the 50s is so fascinating. So if, if anybody's never seen this film, just that description, you got to go see it now. Oh, I, I don't, I don't know. I have no clue. Okay. Brad is passing. Sammy, what do you got? This might be the one where we don't get an answer on because I'm drawing a blank right now. I'm just going to guess. And I don't think this is a fifties film. I think it's a sixties film. Um, but I'm just going to guess Robinson Crusoe on Mars. No, I'm sorry. This is the first yeah. one. Neither of you got it's in fact, red planet Mars. Yeah, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen that. You got it. You got to check it out. It's interesting. Okay. Super interesting. Okay, so we've got one question out of this, which is still freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm still proud of us. I'm still proud. No, we're, I, we're doing, we've done way better than I thought, so we could. Yeah, uh, it could, I really thought this was going to be. Of them, but I'd be fine. I thought we'd do this segment and you would probably cut it. No, no, this is, this is fascinating. <laughs> All right, here you go. Are you ready, Sammy? Sammy? Question, Your question. Right? Yeah. Yep, here we go. Which 1958 cult sci-fi film does 27-year-old Steve McQueen make his leading man debut? The Blob. The Blob. That's right. Oh. Yeah, that was that was a that was a bit of a layup there. That was a layup. Right? There are some layup questions in here. I'm not going to lie. So yeah. we've got, yeah. and I tried to you know even it out. So we've got. Yeah. We've got another to six. big one that hasn't been so. Yeah. No, All right. There's a, there's a. I can think of a couple off the top yeah. of my head. Yep. All right. Here we go. Are you, are you ready, Brad? This is your question. Yes. Aliens come to Earth seeking scientists to help them in their war in this 1955 sci-fi classic that was two and a half years in the making. What film is it? And I'm going to give you a hint. This was edited down and lampooned in Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Say that again. Aliens come to Earth seeking scientists to help them in their war in this 1955 sci-fi classic that was two and a half years in the making. What film is it? And here's a hint. This film was edited down and lampooned in Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. Is it the day the world ended? No, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Sammy, you have a chance to steal this. Sitting here thinking because there's a bit of a twist to your question with that lampooning bit. Um I, again, I'm guessing. I, I got two answers, but I'm just going to go with my gut and say Plan 9 from Outer Space. No, I'm sorry. This will oh. be the second one. Yeah. It's, in fact, This Island Earth. This I, Island Earth. I yes. wouldn't have guessed that, though. I had my other guess was something else, which I won't mention in case it's the answer to another question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Have you, have you guys seen uh, the Mystery yes. Science Theater 3000 film or This Island Earth? Yes. I've, I've not seen the, I typically, I'm weird that way. I, I, I don't like to watch other people lampoon movies. I like to have me and my friends lampoon movies. Oh yeah, that's fair. Totally yeah. fair. Love it. I feel like we're, I feel like me and my friends are funnier. All right. So it, the score is still eight to six. Sammy's in the lead. So I believe this is your question, Brad. I totally forgot now. I got so caught up. At no, some point, no, no, Sammy, 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 Sammy you're right, Sammy. Okay. At some point the math will play out. So. Yeah. yeah, here we go. We might, All right, we Sammy. might have to ask Brad for some help. What was the name 
of the robot in 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still. The name of the robot in 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still. This is a bit of a deep cut. And we're not... I'm only... I'm making all these gestures and stuff because I know. <laughs> okay. And that film was my guess for the last question. Oh, okay. Okay. So now it's come up. Now it's come up. And of course, now I've completely drawn a blank on the robot's name because I've taken a drink by then. So now my memory is shot. Uh, Any guesses? I'm going to say Maximus. No, nope. nope. I'm sorry. Brad, do you know this one? Is it Gort? That You are correct, Brad. It is Gort. You're, you're closing the gap here. You've got seven points to Sammy's eight. That's fantastic. All right. Nice. Here you go, Brad. You can tie it up with the answer to this question. Are you ready? What stops or kills the Triffids in 1962's The Day of the Triffids? What stops or kills the Triffids in 1962's The Day of the Triffids? I've never seen that. I have no, I have no oh idea. Oh my, you've never seen this? Okay. No, I haven't. This is a classic, man. You said 1952? 1962. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I said, this is one of the ones we got in the 60s. Okay. Crossed over into the 60s here. Mm -hmm. Any guesses? No, I have no idea. Okay, Sammy, do you know? I do not think I do. I'm just going to say fire. No, I'm sorry. We've got another one that both of you missed. The the correct answer is seawater. Seawater kills the triffids. I've only seen Triffids once. I don't think it made a mark on. So you would say they're not semen, then? (laughs) Oh my god, (laughs) that's definitely a dad. Since uh, this is a dad podcast, there's your dad joke for this evening. Uh, Okay, Sammy, here we go. Um, What is Clint Eastwood's first movie? Hint: 1955, and he plays a lab technician named Jennings. Oh. Uh, Return of the Creature? Ooh, I'm sorry. Oh, man. Brad, do you know the answer to this? Uh, that was going to be my guess. What is Clint Eastwood's? And I'm being technical mm. on this one, so. Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, the Return of the Creature from the Black Lagoon? No, I'm sorry. Okay. You guys are so close. Yeah, it's yeah. Revenge, Revenge of the Creature. Yes, yes. yes. Not Return, Revenge. All right. Um, how many, how many that, questions are left? How many questions that was a are left? We, we only got a few more. We got, we got, uh, I'm going to give you the bonus question on this, and then there's one more question afterwards. Right. So What's here you go. Right eight, now, eight, it is eight to eight, seven. seven. So eight, seven. here's a bonus question. Sammy, it's for you. Clint Eastwood was also in a science fiction film from that same year as a jet squadron leader. What is the name of this 1955 monster film? So it came out the same year as Revenge of the Creature, and he had a bit part as a jet squadron leader. Oh, I have no idea. None. None? You gonna pass? Zero. All right. I'm passing. Brad, do you know the answer to this? Everybody talks about Revenge of the Creature. What What did you say? Conquest of Space? No, I'm sorry. The correct answer is Tarantula. With an exclamation mark. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a bit of trivia. Wasn't that, there honestly, I did not know. Oh, yeah, he's not a fighter pilot. It's space. Okay, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Wikipedia, for that, because I didn't know that oh, until I read it. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know yep. that. Okay, last question. So um, we are starting with you, Brad. You can tie this up. I can tie. It is eight to seven. 
We could tie it up. We could Make have. Make sure it's really easy for me. All right. Now, I picked one um, science fiction film, not of the U.S., but from the same time period of the 50s and 60s. It, I'm going to tell you, it's not Godzilla. Okay. Okay. So I'm just helping you out here. But here you Do go. I get Brad. a country of origin. Um, <laughs> you will based on the question. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. When a narcotics deal goes sour and a suspect disappears, leaving only his clothes, Tokyo police question his wife and stake out the nightclub she works. His disappearance stumps the police until a young scientist appears who claims that H-bomb tests in the Pacific have created radioactive creatures who ooze like slime and dissolve anyone they touch. Name this 1958 sci-fi classic distributed by Columbia Pictures. Oh my gosh, Troy. Oh, the H-Man. Yeah, oh my gosh, you got it. Yes. <laughs> we have a tie. Nice. Holy Good. cow. Oh. If you wouldn't have gotten that, I wouldn't have gotten that because I was going to guess something else. What were, you, what were you going to guess? Uh, the green slime, something terrible. From oh, slime. okay. No, so, uh, that's amazing. I think there's another one called the the Half Man, maybe. I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I almost could be. said that. I'm well, what's actually the older I get, that's actually my nickname. Oh, that, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a film. As I was putting this together, and I read that, I'm like, oh, I've always wanted to see that, uh, just based on the poster art. But once you read the description of the film, I went ahead and just ordered it because Mill Creek had put that out on a special edition Blu-ray with um, Battle in Outer Space. It was two Japanese films that came out in like the 50s and 60s. So, uh, yeah, you guys, I I am in awe. Your your film knowledge of this era, specifically of this genre, is second to none. And the fact that you tied, that just basically means that the two best podcasts <laughs> on the planet are Not a Bomb and Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. So... I'm, I'm just standing ovation. Oh, Congratulations, good job, guys. Good job, Sammy. That was amazing. Wow. Well, that was that was fun. That was fun, actually. That was a lot of it. You know, next time we do My this. My butthole is super tight during that whole thing. I can relax now. <laughs> I will have sound effects, buzzers, everything else. I just wasn't that prepared. But uh, I, I threw this together at the last minute because the, the film we're talking about tonight is Iron Giant from 1999. It is. Uh, we're going to get into this about our thoughts of the film, but at the core, it has a lot of references to these fifties and sixties science fiction films. So I thought it'd be fun to talk about those instead of doing like a top three list that we usually, you know, Hey, what's your top three alien invasion films from the fifties? I I got a feeling we would all come up with the same thing, but this film, it bombed and we're going to get into this now, just full disclosure, this, none of us, this is a first time. This is not a first time watch for any of us, right? We've seen this multiple times. Not even close. <laughs> yeah, well, I've probably seen it less than you two, but um, I have seen it uh, multiple times. I did see it in the theater, so there you go. Okay, I did too. How about you, Brad? I did not. This was uh, Brad was 16 years old when this film came out. I wasn't seeing no animated film in the theater when I was 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you come on, you were bro. cool, huh? Man up, yeah. All right, you weren't you weren't a square a matrix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. you weren't no half man like yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's start with how this sucker performed. So this thing came out in 1999, and Brad, this is where you come in with yeah. the numbers. We have a very interesting year in film, and specifically when Some this consider thing consider 1999 the greatest year in cinema history. Uh, well, let's get into that. Let's let's talk okay. about how this thing performed when it came out. Yeah, so released um, wide August 6, 1999, with a budget somewhere between. 
50 and I saw all the way up to $70 million. Again, you're talking hand-drawn animation with – and again, we'll, we'll get into the quality, but um, a lot of hand-drawn animation is actually 12 frames a second. Um, and I believe they did 24 frames a second on this. So you're basically doubling the animation. Essentially, when you do 12 seconds, there's like it, it. You can tell sort of, but not really. But I, you know, again, you're doubling the, all the work. Um, so, unfortunately, since this is on a show called Not a Bomb, either the critics didn't like it or it bombed at the box office, or both. This one would have been at the box office. Grosses. $31.3 million, 23 domestic, eight internationally. Wow. Um, yep. Opening weekend, $5.7 million for ninth place opening weekend. Ninth yeah. place. That is crazy. Place. Okay. okay. This, thing, this thing was dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. Um, top three grossing films of that weekend. The Sixth Sense. Oh, that's right. The Blair, the Blair Witch Project and Runaway Bride. Again, Wow. 1999 is a banger of a film release year. It is stacked head to toe. And most notably, it's got, you know, these unique um, sort of kind of lightning in a bottle movies, Spike Club, being John Malkovich, The Matrix, um, you know, on and on and on. I mean, there's just so many films that are of its time that come out in 99. Um now the weekend this came out, I saw another film that is going to show up on our show because it bombed as well, if I remember correctly. Because I remember seeing the Iron Giant, uh, and I hope I'm right about this, but we saw the Mystery or Mystery Men Mystery that came Men out the same weekend out, too, yes. right? Yeah, and it, it um, wasn't. I, I think Mystery Men performed better yes, than this. I will, one. I will get to the releases of August, and we will. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Actually, Mystery Men came out the same day. Oh, same day. Um, okay. So we'll just hit, let me just go through what, cause now that you took, so we've also already talked about this month because 13th warrior came out this month as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, you have Dick, um, universal soldier, the return, the sixth sense. Oh, the sixth sense came out the same day as the iron giant as well. Oh, so wow. Yeah. The sixth sense mystery men, the iron giant and Thomas crown affair all on the same day. Holy cow. It, uh, yeah, that's, okay. uh, yeah, I don't uh, remember. The, I don't remember if Sixth Sense opened strong though. I do remember it had legs though. I yeah, it, it was in the theater for a long time. I think yeah. the theater run for Iron Giant. I saw something that was like six and a half weeks or something like that. So it, wow. you know, and if you're only making five point seven your first week, you know, then you're taking half of that the second. So you know, you're you're basically crawling to your twenty three. Um, you have Bowfinger, Detroit Rock City. The Thirteenth Warrior, The Ninth Gate, The Astronaut's Wife. Um, also, wow. Wow. in the year of 1999, we had some other notable animated films come out that I wanted to talk about, just okay. to put some context in um, The Iron Giant. So we had Disney's Tarzan come out in 1999. Budget of $130 million makes $448 million. Wow, that was a big hit. Yes, yep. South Park, bigger, louder, and uncut, twenty-one million dollars, makes eighty-three million dollars. Wow. Um, here's a huge one: Toy Story two, Ooh. ninety million dollars, makes almost half a billion dollars. Um, here's the only other. This is the only other big release animated film flop of 1999. 
Fantasia 2000, $80 million budget makes $90 million. Um, for Disney, that's not good enough. Um, and then you have Stuart Little, $133 million on Stuart Little. What are we doing spending $133 million on Stuart Little? But it also grosses $300 million. So, um, wow. yeah. So this and Fantasia 2000 are the only big animated releases of 99 that don't make a lot of money, wow. which is unfortunate. Well, in- I don't know. I don't know what's sadder that Iron Giant didn't make its money back or that I saw Stuart Little in a theater. <laughs> I, I saw it You're in the, the theater problem, too. <laughs> this is well, why we can't have good, nice things. It's, yeah, I know. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> it's amazing because weren't the 90s, I mean, from an animation standpoint, a lot of studios were starting their own animated um, wings or subdivisions to kind of start competing with Disney, right? So what what's amazing is Pixar with Toy Story 2 I mean, it's a juggernaut, but it's not the Pixar of today. So it's just starting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we'll get into the production. We'll talk about Warner Brothers Studio specifically. But it is amazing how many of those films that would come out that year, and, and Tarzan specifically, makes that much money. I mean, that's yeah. crazy to me. Yeah, I saw, I saw Tarzan twice. I had a little niece at the time. So I saw Tarzan twice. Uh, is that? I still have a niece, but she's not little. <laughs> <laughs> Did Phil Collins do the soundtrack? I, yeah, that? the soundtrack. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, critically, the Iron Giant comes in at ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think ninety six percent critically is one of our highest films we've ever done. Whoa. Um, Who are the four yeah. percent? I know. I know. I know. For real. <laughs> and then ninety percent with the audience. Okay. Who um, are the ten percent? Yeah. Those people cannot come to my birthday party. Oh. Wow. That's proof that evil does exist in the world, I guess. I don't know. So those are your numbers. That's crazy to me. Wow. Well, let's talk about the people who made the film. And uh, we got to start with Brad Bird. Uh, What what are your guys' thoughts on Brad Bird? I mean, Sammy, you you big fan? Uh, Yeah, no, I like Brad Bird. Um, I like uh, just about everything he's done. I haven't seen Tomorrowland. So I don't know about that, but Tomorrowland comes up in this movie, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, I'd forgotten that comes up on the TV at some point, if you recall. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's a later edition. I, I can't remember if that was yeah. done theatrically or not. Okay. It might've been, I, I ended up watching the signature. Edition I, I did too. Yep. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> okay. So we kind of talked about which edition we were going to watch. I'm going to watch a regular edition. I ended up watching the signature edition anyway. So maybe that was added, but uh, I like his mission impossible film a lot. Actually, it's my second favorite. Mission Impossible. It's so film. good. Yes. Uh, and it's it's almost, I love the John Woo-ness of Mission Impossible 2, so I'll stand up for that. <laughs> oh, we're, we're pro we're pro 2 on this podcast. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We, we like but that too. I think pound for pound, Brad Bird's Mission Impossible film might be the perfect Mission Impossible film. It might be. I am with you. That's my initial knee jerk reaction to it as well. But it's also, it makes me want to go back and just watch them all back to back to see if that statement hands uh, holds up. But I'm kind of working my way through them right now. So I think, I don't know when it comes to the mission Impossible, I think the last three are pretty spectacular. They are ghost protocol, rogue nation and, and fallout are like, give me those three action films and I'm happy for a whole day. Yeah, and to oh, yeah. me, to me, it's uh, Ghost Protocol and uh, Fallout are the top two, and I, I could not uh, decide which one would be the top one. Those, those are my two favorite. Yeah. So but, uh, I can't think of anything else. I guess The Incredibles. Obviously, I do really like The Incredibles. 
So I, I have to say this, and I know this might not be a popular opinion. I am not huge on Ratatouille. Really? Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't know. It just doesn't speak to me for some reason. Uh, I like it. I don't love it. But uh, I really do love Incredibles and Incredibles Part 2 quite a bit. Isn't I, I Incredibles it. just Watchmen for kids? Basically, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, and in Ratatouille, too. I had only seen for the first time last year. I had never oh, really, seen it up really. to that point. And it was one oh, of those 4Ks that ended up being on sale uh, and finally pulled the trigger on it. And uh, my kids have watched it tons and yeah. love it. And I, I never sat down to watch it. Maybe I need to revisit at some point. I've only ever seen it in the theater. I saw it and it just didn't really speak to me. And I've never had any interest in revisiting, but maybe I need to. And maybe I will someday. But uh, yeah, I love his Incredibles films. I haven't seen Tomorrowland. I love the Mission Impossible film he did. And I'm not going to say what I think about this film yet. <laughs> okay. Well, what about you, Brad? I mean, we you, you've kind of shared your cards a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm right there with Sammy. I, I pretty much like everything that he's directed. Um he also wrote batteries not included, which I, I like. Um, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a competent director. He's very creative. He, he did the smart thing and, and hitched his wagon to John Lasseter. So that kind of put him in at Pixar. So um, yeah, I dig off his stuff Tomorrowland, I think it's his only miss. It's quite boring. It yeah. looks visually very interesting, but nothing really happens. Um, they were trying for that Pirates of the Caribbean, which is you know funny because they just did Jungle Cruise, but right. you know, they, they keep trying. But Tomorrowland <laughs> was a was a big miss. So um, yeah, no thank you. Yeah, it's funny because watching this film, I I had the same inclination to Tomorrowland because I remember seeing it in the theater and thought it was pretty boring. But I went ahead and, and I'm like, man, I'm going to revisit it. So picked up the Blu-ray. Uh, just just as a result of watching The Iron Giant and saying, well, I got to give it another chance. And you guys have talked about most of his films. So from a directing standpoint, um, he did Amazing Stories, that TV series. He did an episode there. He also did a couple episodes on The Simpsons. Nice. Iron Giant is his first feature film that he did in 99. And I got to tell you this. So if you have the signature edition Blu-ray or um, the latest edition of Iron Giant, there is a documentary on Brad Bird and yeah. it is absolutely fascinating. There's there's stuff about his history I didn't know, meaning that he submitted sort of an animated project as a teenager to Disney, yeah. and the artist invited him in, and he was he came into Disney early on as sort of just this genius animator, and pretty much Disney picked up the tab for you know his schooling. He graduates college, he goes to work there, and he gets fired from Disney, and yeah. then ends up trying to get a job, starts working on The Simpsons. Uh, is is working for, I think, Turner. And then Warner Brothers buys out their animated division, comes over, and that's how he got the Iron Giant. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. he has such a fascinating history in that he comes into Disney, gets fired from Disney, and then ends up making some of the biggest blockbusters for him you know, via Pixar. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was a very vocal yes. uh, young man and uh, very uh, bullheaded, for lack of a better word, very strong. And let his opinion be known. And I don't think the Disney brass, that's on the uh, digital copy if you buy it off iTunes as well, the hour-long documentary. And it's really good. It really is good. And there's some things I didn't know. I don't know if I should say anything about them, unless you do, Troy, unless you say something. But, uh, you know, his thoughts on uh, violence and gun violence and things like that. Oh, yeah. And that's things I didn't know. So Yeah, I was pretty yeah we'll get there because we're going to talk about sort of the inspiration of it. Um, but, yeah, Simpsons, Iron Giant, Incredibles, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Tomorrowland, Incredibles 2. 
he has a, I mean, not a lot of directed films, but man, he really <laughs> makes hits more than misses. The He's scre- like one of the like senior creatives that does a lot of the Pixar stuff. So everything from Cars to Brave to like, Monsters University Inside Out, it, pretty much anything Pixar that's been released in the last 10 years, he was yeah. creative on at some yeah. point in time. Yep. Yeah. He's heavily involved in the alter work, I believe. Yeah. And, and for the iron giant, he's credited for screenplay and screen story. Now he did the screenplay he was on cars too, which he can eat it on cars too. <laughs> okay. that, I agree with you on that. To watch a lot of cars too. Boy, <laughs> that movie is rotten. Yeah. Rotten. I'll, uh, cars two is so rotten. bad. I, I didn't even go to cars three. I, I like the first cars, but <laughs> um, Tim McCanley's also did the screenplay. Now he wrote and directed sec- secondhand lions, uh, from 2003. Um, oh, did he? Yes. Wow. Okay. But the, the property, the iron giant is actually based on the book, the iron man, a children's story in five nights by Ted Hughes that came out in 1968. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. I, I want to talk about the producers for a second, because this also goes into the backstory of this film, but you got Allison Abate as producer, Des McCannuff as producer, John Walker's associate producer, and this is pretty fascinating. Pete Townsend of The Who is executive producer, and we'll talk about why in a second. Was he doing research for this movie as well? Is that why he got caught? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I got this nice little dad who joke there. Um, Music by Michael Kamen. We'll talk about that in a minute, but this guy's shown up uh, pretty much on our podcast before. Highlander, he was the composer for Highlander. But if you go through... I, we got to have that laugh. It's I believe it's he's trademark. the uh, I believe he's the composer for Event Horizon as well. Yes, he's shown he, up on a few films, Event Horizon and The Last Action Hero. He was the composer for those. But he's also done films. You like, the piece of paper, and that's like a wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> a wormhole. Uh, Die Hard, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Lethal Weapon composer on that as well. Jeez. Yeah. So. You know, let's talk about the voices uh, for the film uh, versus the animation, right? Uh, we've got Eli Marenthal as Hogarth Hughes. Now, this same year that Iron Giant came out, he actually had another film come out, and I totally forgot about this. He was in American Pie from 1999 as Stifler's younger brother. So he has a couple of acting credits outside of voice work. Um, but we also get to talk about Jennifer Aniston as Annie Hughes. Now about this time, oh, yeah, Iron- the leprechaun's the leprechaun's own Jennifer Aniston. Yes. The leprechaun's own Jennifer Aniston. Now at this time period, she's doing friends. She's super popular. Friends yeah. ran from like 94 to 2004. And this same year, she also came out in office space that came out in 1999 and then follows that up with Rockstar in 2001. We also get Harry Connick jr. As Dean McCopin. He has, uh, you know, he has some notoriety outside of, you know, his piano playing and singing because in 96, he's in Independence Day, 97 does Excess Baggage, 98 Hope Floats, and then the Iron Giant 99. So he's building up his acting career. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you guys think about Harry Connick Jr. as an actor? I, I, I got to tell you, he's one of my favorite artists in terms of music. I've seen him in concerts. Absolutely fantastic. But what do you, what do you think of him as an actor? I mean, I really only recognize him kind of from Independence Day, and I I loved him in Independence Day. And when he dies, it's it's hurt my feelings because I thought he and Will Smith, actually their chemistry together was probably better than him and uh, Vivica Fox. To be honest with you, <laughs> they like should have got together. Yeah, I like him as an actor. Actually, um, I I enjoy him whenever he pops up in a movie. 
He's, yeah, uh, I'm same way. Copycat. Did yeah. you guys ever see that? The serial yeah, yeah. film. Yeah, he's good in yeah. that. Yeah, he's got a nice uh, presence to him when he uh, pops up and stuff. Uh, I like it. I like most of the stuff he does. Now, our our villain in the film, if we call him that, is Christopher McDonald as Kent Mansley. So as Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. As soon as you hear that voice, you think of Shooter McGavin. Um, this is another thing, just going through his filmography, and I totally forgot about these. So you guys have seen Midnight Run with Robert De Niro and Charles Grove. Did you guys know that there were three Midnight Run TV films? Wait, what? Sequels to Midnight Run. I, yeah, I remember reading about them, and I remember it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm going to check those out, and I just never have. Yeah, so the the main character that Robert De Niro plays in Midnight Run is called Jack Walsh, and Christopher McDonald takes over the Robert De Niro character for three television films, like sequels to Midnight Run. Which, is one of them called like not another midnight run? I I don't know, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go find them. Apparently, you can you can buy a DVD set for like nine bucks and get all of them. So that's oh, okay. that's the next thing I'm going for. And you get some great character actors in this film. You wait, get, wait, wait, what, what, wait, wait! I found them. I found them. Oh, you found the midnight run film? So it's another midnight run. Makes sense. Nice. Yeah. Midnight run around. Got okay. I like that one. Midnight run for your life. Oh, see, I thought I had that because I have one over here called Midnight Reach Around. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> no. yes please oh wow i don't oh, wait a minute. i don't this think christopher little... mcdonald's in that one <laughs> yeah not the same dvd i'm no, sorry no, no, different one i just looked at the back Ooh. you need to get off those websites man they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna give you a virus yikes they didn't put the stickers in the right spots on the back of that DVD. i don't think they did um we have some great character actors in this film john mahoney as general rogard now most people know him from frazier as Martin yeah. Crane. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in 2018. We get M. Emmett Walsh as Earl Stutz, which I absolutely love his voice, but people know him for Blade Runner, Blood Simple Critters in the early 80s. And then, of Red course... Red Scorpion, man. Red Scorpion. That's right, Red Scorpion. Oh, my gosh. Fletch? Isn't he Fle isn't Fletch? Fletch, yeah. He, this yeah. guy oh, shows up in, he's in a million things, everything. Yeah. yeah, he probably has like a thousand credits to his name. And then, of course, as the Iron Giant, Vin Diesel. Now, most people know him from the Fast and Furious and all this other stuff. But at this time, Vin Diesel had only done Saving Private Ryan in 1998, had done the Iron Giant, and then comes back with Pitch Black in 2000, and then the Fast and Furious franchise starts in 2001. So Vin Diesel isn't really well known. But, I mean, let's face it, Iron Giant probably got him the job as Groot, right, with that voice? Probably. I mean, his probably. voice is... His voice is unique, and then it's one of the things, you know... I don't always love Vin Diesel, and uh, but I gotta say, there's no other actor really kind of like him right now. Uh, he's got a unique look, gravelly voice, kind of strange, something kind of. I mean, he he's not even that great an actor, but he's. I don't know. He, I almost bought Babylon AD, AD on Blu-ray this weekend. Uh, it has Michelle Yeoh, so you should <laughs> you should own it. I sent, I sent you guys pictures of my used uh, Blu-ray haul. Uh, Babylon AD was four bucks. I almost bought it. Come on, four bucks? Four bucks. Yeah. It has Michelle Yeoh for $4. You, you have to go back to the store and get it. I like Vin Diesel because, like, he's kind of nerdy, and he'll do nerdy movies. Like that last last Witch Hunter movie. Uh, even, like, Bloodshot. And, and you were saying, like, Babylon AD. I Even like the like Riddick his, movies. The Chronicles yeah, his, of Riddick, Riddick we'll, we'll probably good. talk about. I mean, that bombed, and, and I really I enjoyed Pitch that Black thing. Pitch Black is, is yeah. a great movie. I agree with you. Movie. Which um, one? Pitch which Black. One? Pitch Black. Oh, yeah. I like Pitch Black. I like. I think I like Chronicles of Riddick the most of those three, though. Which was the biggest bomb, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That one's pretty, Did pretty, you all, pretty out there. It's out yeah. there. 
Did you all ever play the Escape from Butcher Butcher yes, Bay? The that first was game? such yeah, a good. That was one of the like good the game. quintessential Xbox games. I remember. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a gamer. He's a gamer. There, he is. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I wish he would do more things than just your franchise stuff, like Fast and the Furious, because I do like it when he picks interesting stuff. And um, I would love for him to continue the science fiction sort of Riddick series, which I think he's trying to do. But I'm with you. I'm, he's I'm, a smart like. At the end of the day, he's a smart guy. He, he knows is. like those Fast and Furious movies. You just put a huge international cast. And those films will make millions and millions of dollars overseas. Like they are bigger overseas than they are domestically uh, yeah. because he knows, well, Hey, we're going to get some Brazilian guys. Let's get, um, you know, a bunch of these guys. And it's just a huge diverse cast. And it, that's all him. I mean, he's a huge producer and he's like, that's him bringing yeah. that cast together. I really think those films have influenced Hollywood's way of thinking altogether quite a bit, actually. I think you're right. Yeah, I don't know if you get something like Crazy Rich Asians if without Fast and Furious. Yeah. Like, I, I know that sounds weird, but like that I'm diverse sorry. cast like yeah, helps start, a lot. I'm starting to think Keanu Reeves and the John Wick thing. I'm starting to think they're going to start doing that more and more. <laughs> well, they have Donnie Yen coming. And, yeah, they've yeah, added yeah. so many people to this next John Wick film that it feels like, hey, let's, we don't have, we didn't make enough money in this market. Let's add this person. <laughs> I agree. So let's talk about the production and leading up to this. Because this one's super interesting. Obviously, it bombed. But when we talk about the history, and Sammy, you may talk about this a little bit. But uh, the state of animation. So can I say one thing? Yes. It would, I would be, it would be criminally, for any of our cross-pollinated listeners, yes. or anybody that listens to my show, mm-hmm. listens to your guys' show, blah, blah, blah. I would be... It would be criminal. It would just be criminal of me not to mention that some of the additional voices in here are done by GGTMC favorite Roger Bumpass. Okay, okay. that is his name, Roger <laughs> Bumpass. All right. Look in the credits. We've mentioned him before on our show. Are you looking he, at those weird movies again? No, I'm not. This okay. is not uh, that kind of bumping ass. This is uh, definitely Roger Bumpin' ass. Uh, no, Roger Bumpass. My bad. Sorry. Well, now I'm trying to figure out like what did oh so he did additional voices. Yes. And we would know He's him from in, Running Man, SpongeBob. Yeah. He's been in a he's been in so many movies you've seen. Oh wow. And and been a part of them. John Carpenter films, you name it. He's been in a lot of stuff. Holy cow, he has such a diverse <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow. This is and crazy. You'll never forget his last name. Yeah. No, you're right. Um I mean, and he's known for playing pants. the role of Squidward in the SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. Holy Which cow. Which my daughter has all of a sudden fallen in love with SpongeBob SquarePants. I, I, thought, I thought I was past this, but did you tell um, her about the right bump ass? I did not tell her about the bump ass. She's got her whole life to figure that out. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> well, listen, look, she don't find my DVD of the Midnight Reach Around. Yeah, you need to hide that one from the kids. Um, <laughs> well, that's I'm in the room where I keep all that stuff. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> so let's talk about animation and Warner Brothers for a second. So this is a Warner Brothers animated feature, and at the point, a lot of studios were chasing Disney, right? So everybody's starting their stuff. But Warner Brothers feature animation productions, they kicked it off in 1993 when they released Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Now, this part of the oh. studio, awesome just, movie. yeah, it's a great film. But if you look at their track record leading up to Iron Giant, it is not a very profitable portion yeah. of Warner Brothers. Yeah. So Batman Mask of the Phantasm was a bomb. Yeah. Six million dollar budget. And it only brought in five point eight million dollars worldwide. And that is yeah. sort of at the height of that TV show which is kind of crazy. Then yeah. 
they released the animated, Batman the animated series is one of the greatest animated shows of all time. Uh, hands down, I, I agree with you 100. And it still holds up, and it yes. still looks amazing. It yeah. is it still works amazing. Um, Space Jam, they did Space Jam in '96. That's their hit. 80 million dollar budget comes in at 230 million <laughs> worldwide. Sorry, that movie oh. sucks. <laughs> so, well, here's really where it gets does. interesting. So this is leading up to Iron Giant in '97. This is when, you know, they acquire the Turner feature animation. So they're merging it into Warner Brothers animation. They pick up a film called Cats Don't Dance that came out in 97, had a $32 million budget, and it only made $3.6 million worldwide. So, I mean, talk about a bomb. And then wow. their next feature animated film, Quest for Camelot, in 98, had a $40 million budget, and it only made $22.5 million worldwide. So at this point... Warner Brothers Animation is just, it's. They really pushed Quest for Camelot. I don't remember them pushing Cats Don't Dance. I'm I'm drawing a blank on a poster, on a trailer. I or think it was just a property that. they picked up and yeah. they put it out there and it. But tanked. Quest for Camelot had like, uh, I remember. Uh, it was a big deal. Toys. Yeah. Yeah. They really pushed that one. Uh, it just seems like every time we go to that Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur yeah. stuff, yeah. it never succeeds. It never succeeds. It didn't yeah, succeed this time. No. Yeah, Disney's always had trouble. Disney has uh, always had trouble with that as well, it seems. Yeah, so when you get to Warner Brothers and, and the time that they're working, so Iron Giant, it takes about two years to make. You know, something like Tarzan was in five years of production, whereas, you know, Warner Brothers gave them two. And so as Quest for Camelot is bombing and the studio is looking at this part of their business model and saying, look, we're not interested really in promoting the next animated feature. It, it was pretty much left alone. They they gave it its money, and the theatrical portion of Warner Brothers Animation was just sort of a small player in the overall studio at that point, and this movie was pretty much flying under corporate radar as they're making it. The only thing is they just had to stay under budget and then complete the film on time. That, that was the big thing. So let's talk about the release and marketing. And I, I if anybody loves this film and you don't own that signature edition... You have to go and get it. There's an amazing documentary. We're not going to repeat the stuff that's on the documentary. But I think in talking about uh, why this thing bombed, you've got to talk about what was going on with Warner Brothers. Where did this come from? And, um, you know, what was inspiring it? So they had this product and all their animated features have bombed at that point. They're just saying, look, just come under budget, come under timing. The, the nature of... The story, we talked about it, came from a book called The Iron Man, A Children's Story in Five Nights. But Pete Townsend had got a hold of that book. That's why he's an executive producer. And he adapted the book for a concept album called The Iron Man, a musical. Uh, and he released that in 1989. Had, had you guys ever listened to that or seen any excerpts from the stage play? Yeah. No, I haven't. At one point in time, I was a real big Who fan and or The Who. And yes, I've... I've, I've heard that album i but i i don't know yeah it's, sometimes sometimes concept albums can be quite trashy yeah, yeah. And daltrey comes back and they do a couple of songs you know that are kind of billed as the who on there but the concept album comes back now townsend does a stage musical in london around 1993 warner brothers steps in and says hey we're going to make this into a film and in 96, they saw this as sort of a, a film for Brad Bird since they acquired um, 
Turner Animation Studio and, and Brad Bird was working on, I think, Ray Gunn was the property. So they said, hey, let's do the Iron Giant. Uh, it was originally supposed to be a musical. And, and so with the screenplay rewrite and everything else, they're, they're turning it into the film that we have today. But let's talk about the release and marketing. So there's an entire fascinating, like how this thing got made. But, you know, for those curious, go watch the special features on the Blu-ray. I'm telling you, it's as good as the film in terms of all the stuff going on behind the scenes. But they had the film completed four months prior to the August release date. And what happens is they go ahead and say, well, let's let's test the film. Right. So Warner Brothers just thinks they have another animated property on their hands. It's going to bomb. They end up testing the film. It's the highest test score for a film in 15 years for Warner Brothers. And all of a sudden, the studio is like, well, hold on a second. I think we got something pretty cool here. And they suggest delaying the film and kind of building up a large marketing campaign. Now, keep in mind, their money is being spent at that moment on Wild Wild West, which is coming out that summer. I think it came out in July or a month before. Yeah, it was like around July 4th, remember? Because Will Smith had that those years in a row where all of his big films were coming out. Oh, yeah, that's right. The July right. 4th weekend, yeah. Yeah, and so with four months um, in terms of marketing, that wasn't enough time to negotiate like branding with other companies like McDonald's or Burger King. I think they had something going with Burger King, but they really need a year to kind of ramp that up to, to make the plastic toys and... Yeah. I mean, you, you got to have a fast food Happy Meal tie-in with you know this kind of property if you're going to market it correctly. Action figures as well. Yeah, all of that stuff. And so Brad Bird says, absolutely not. No way. He was afraid Warner Brothers would just eventually shelve it and forget about it. So he kept pushing for the original release date of August and just wanted to get it out there. He openly admits that he made a bad choice on this and basically says he should have listened to the studio because it was testing like crazy. And in, in his head, he was thinking, well, word of mouth is really going to get this thing going. And so we don't need the Burger King tie-in or the McDonald's tie-in or all that other stuff. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. So it bombs theatrically, and the marketing campaign for home video was actually better than what they ever did theatrically. They actually started to get some cross-promotion going. So yeah. Honey Nut Cheerios, as an example, you could send off for a free Iron Giant watch. Um, they got AOL and General Motors to run commercials about um, the home video release, and they even secured backing from three U.S. congressmen to push the film. So all in all, Warner spent about $35 million in marketing on the home video release, which is almost as much as the budget of the film. And that's where it took off. And, and you know, folks like Cartoon Network, which I think was owned by Warner Brothers at the time through acquisition, they were doing like 24-hour marathons of the Iron Giant as well. So... This this thing sort of bombs because of the ambivalence of the studio, but then they the studio comes around and says, man, we've got gold on our hands and we really believe in this product. So they start putting a bunch of money in the home media release after it bombs, which is just so unusual. So because, I mean, Quest for Camelot, there's no Blu-ray of that or... I think you can find a DVD of, you know, or VHS copy somewhere, but Iron Giant. Have either one of you ever seen Quest for Camelot? I have not. No. I don't think I have. I don't, yeah, but you, like you were saying, Troy, $50 million budget, or you, I mean, maybe upwards of 70 is what I saw as well, but, you know, 50 million for the theatrical release and then another 35 on the home media release. Um, of course, that was a different time. Yeah. Because, again, you could sell millions of copies of, of DVDs um, and, and make back that money. 
Yeah. Uh, but it just kind of seemed like they were doubling down. And I well, don't know, man, that seems like a risky. Uh, I, uh, I agree that that type of budget makes sense. If that film had performed great at the box office and they were pushing the home. Yeah, great. Throw 35 million. But the fact that it bombed at the box office and then to spend that kind of money on a home media release uh, you, I mean, I think it comes out in early December too. So we're looking at the end of August and then it's out on home media at the beginning of December. That's a, that's four months. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not that long. Um, usually, you know, when you see a film release and then it's out on Blu-ray, like the next week, you know, it's bad. They're just trying to make money any way they can. Um, but again, I guess they're seeing, Hey, it's out of the theater. Let's double down, spend another 35 million and see if we can rake in, all those people going to Best Buy to just to buy DVDs. Yeah. And like Troy. Troy yeah. was buying DVDs. All day long, man. Like that's crazy. that's yeah. where my paycheck went. Here's the <laughs> yeah. other crazy thing. So, I was doing the same thing, by the way. Yes. Thank you, Sammy. Thank, thanks yeah. for backing me up on that. Yeah. Hey, I, I, got I, a, I got a DVD player in 99. That's yeah. one of my things I got for Christmas. I, I stood in line at a Best Buy to get the Mr. Brown copy of Reservoir Dogs. Nice. You got Miss. I got. I got the Mr. Pink version. Yeah, I got the Mr. Brown one because I had read through that wacky internet. It was the least printed version. Oh, so you were you were seeing? Okay, yeah. that makes sense. I, I'm not that way anymore. I can't say the yes, line. Yes, you that are. In, <laughs> I know you are. In Reservoir Dogs, why Troy got the pink one? Oh, I yeah, no. Say that word anymore. So one <laughs> other thing, let's talk about 1999, the Annie Awards. Are you guys familiar with this? The Annie Awards, what they are. Uh, I, I, well, I'm, I'm not familiar with it. I, obviously the title, uh, it kind of gives it away. I'm guessing an Annie is an animation that spot on, man. So spot on. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Keep it in international. Yeah. The Academy Awards didn't start the best animated feature category until 2002 for films made in 2001. So this is 1999 and, uh, they had the Annie Awards. And so what happens is Iron Giant gets 15 nominations, which is huge they end up winning nine of those awards. And the big award that they won was Outstanding Achievement in an Animated Theatrical Feature. It was up against South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, A Bug's Life, Tarzan, and The Prince of Egypt uh, that year. So, uh, and, and I can't stress this enough, Tarzan, I mean, you talked about the numbers, it was a huge international hit, but it was five years of prep work uh, to make that film Whereas this film, and again, this is all explained in a lot of the special features, they had two years to make it and get out the door, and they had half of the animation staff, you know, half of the experience. They're using interns and everything else to kind of work on this picture to no get Phil it out Collins. there. Yeah. No Phil Collins. Um, yeah, we and we didn't really mention it, but you're, you just brought it up there with Prince of Egypt. But DreamWorks is really trying to establish yeah. themselves as an animated studio as well. Yeah, I think a lot of studios in the 90s thought if they got their animated division out, they saw that as printing money just based on what was going on with Disney and some others, right? But yeah, for Warner Brothers at this time, you know, their television division was doing great with, you know, the Batman series and stuff that they were putting right. out there. Right. But the animated division was just losing money. I mean, Space Jam was the only thing that made money for him leading up to this, and everything else was just a box office bomb. Um, but I know you guys have done a deep dive and have, have lived with this. Uh, it, was there any other facts or anything on the on the production that you wanted to talk about before we get into thoughts of the film? I mean, it's clearly obvious why this thing bombed out of the gate. Warner Brothers just didn't put any marketing to it. You had a stubborn director. Uh, they kind of saw the light at the end for the home media, which is why it's a classic today, I think. Yeah. 
but I mean, well, it, I think it's that it's a combination of that, but I don't think we can, we cannot pass up the, the thought that uh, Brad Bar brought up earlier in that we have to remember the sixth sense was sixth sense was a phenomenon. Oh yeah. Good point. Everybody yes. was talking about that movie and nobody was going to see, I mean, I knew people that were going to see the sixth sense every week <laughs> to try to figure out where did he mess up? Where did he mess up? So, um, it was just everybody. It was on the. It was on everybody's tongue at that point, and I think with the marketing and I think that year and everything, I think that did not help this movie in any way. Uh, it's just one of those things. I mean, this happens. This happens probably pretty much every week in some way, but unfortunately for this film, it just wiped it out. Uh, it's well, one of those things where I wonder if it would have been released the week after or the week before. No, not the week before, because Blair Witch was coming out end of July, right? Which was yeah. another phenomenon. Again, yeah. 99, like, you look at a weekend in 99, and you're like, oh, that came out? Yeah. Oh, that came out? Like, it yeah. is... 99 it's, was a terrible year for this film to come out, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was just a year of zeitgeist films, to use a better word, probably, yeah. because everybody was talking about those movies, right? Everybody was talking about Blair Witch. That's a great point. I mean, yeah. so do you... So in your opinion, no amount of marketing... I mean, 50 million, the oh. Burger King toys, you don't think it would have been able to compete with sort of the water cooler films like Six Sense or. I thought that. And then I watched, when I watched the documentary, one of the interesting things about the documentary is somebody leaked it to Ain't It Cool News. And at the time, Ain't It Cool News was very much a, a hot website to go to to learn about hot films. And Six Sense and Blair Witch were really pushed on that website as well. Iron Giant was pushed by Moriarty, uh, one of the famous uh, critics, uh, internet critics over there, right? as one of the best films he's ever seen, period. And I thought this movie might, and I even saw that on Ain't It Cool, because I used to go there, and I saw that on there, and I thought, I really got to see this Iron Giant film. But man, Blair Witch, Sixth Sense, and these films just wiped it off the face of the earth for me. I ended up seeing it, but it was a couple weeks later, and I ended up really liking it, but there was just these movies that were there. There were just these powerhouses that I don't know if marketing could have saved it. Well, and it's funny because that's an interesting story where it leaked. I don't, I think the version that they leaked even wasn't a finished film. So he saw a lot of rough animation, but I I remember specifically going to the films that weekend and seeing six Sense, mystery men, iron giant. And to your point, Brad earlier, 99 was just a fantastic year to, to go to movies. Um, and I remember that weekend going to the, you know, I think it was the AMC on the West side of Evansville, Indiana. And you could pretty much, you know, that between that Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you were seeing to me three just great films between the sixth sense and mystery men and iron giant. I mean, I, I love all three of those films, but you're, no I don't Thomas know. Thomas Crown affair for you. No Thomas Crown. I'm going to let you in. I've never seen, I've seen, I think the original, I've never seen that remake by, uh, uh, gosh, it's Renee. I'm drawing a blank on names cause I'm all trying to remember all the names from iron giant, but we've got Pierce oh. Brosnan and Renee Zellweger. Russo. Russo. Yeah, that's Renee right. Russo. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That I, I will actually say that Thomas Crown affair. I like more than the Steve McQueen, Thomas Crown affair. Really? Yeah. I, I yep. kind of dig the Steve McQueen one, but I never saw the remake. Steve McQueen, when you really got to be in the mood for split screen. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Man, they they love the split screen. Norman Jewison loves the split screen in that one. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. It, it's curious because I don't know how much 
any kind of marketing would have saved this thing. I really wish, you know, Brad Bird had listened to everybody and said, look, just delay it for X amount of months, release it about this time period so that it can yeah. grow. Um, but again, I, I, I'm sure Warner Brothers didn't expect Blair Witch yeah. and Sixth Sense and all those to kind of take they off. They probably didn't. But, and, Brad, and, you know, watching that documentary, Brad Bird's a very, I don't want to say cocky, but certainly a very overconfident gentleman. Oh, he he's feels- stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> he comes off and, very stubborn. And, you know, they could have went one of two ways and it went the other way for him. Uh, now, he's had a nice career out of it and he's he's gotten a lot of reputation off of this film. So it's all worked out for him in the long run. But he's a very cocky individual and uh, that comes through completely. As a matter of fact, I had an HR moment, as we like to joke about, when he's in front of the team there and he he yells a word that you could not get away with in a meeting nowadays. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that, that documentary shows a lot of VHS um, footage of them working behind the scenes. Yeah. And when you watch him lead his team meetings, they look like an HR nightmare in today's they, world. They are an HR, HR nightmare. Yeah, I agree 100%. <laughs> uh, well, I, are you guys ready to talk about the Iron Giant in terms of you know your 16th, 17th, I don't know, 50th viewing of it? Yeah, time guy. We're an hour and twenty minutes in. We're finally getting to the movie, so there you go. Oh yeah, time guy. Sorry. Minutes. Well, hey, he probably loved the science fiction trivia part. So. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't lose it. I don't subscribe to the podcast for trivia. Stop <laughs> making fun of listeners, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, me, time guy. I like. Let you. me let me warn you that doesn't go over too well. Yeah, Brad. Come on. <laughs> This is supposed to be a like everybody. Oh, Iron Giant, and then we get. Anyways, I think there's just, time guy. Yeah, I think there was an episode of our show where I actually ordered a pizza on the air. Oh boy, nice. <laughs> did it come while you were still recording? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, I, and I left it on there. Uh, and then I think there's a review out there somewhere where these guys don't even care. They're ordering pizza while they're doing movie reviews. We're not I just ordering. It was kind of a yeah. quaint. Yeah, I think it was yeah. kind. Of, I thought it was kind of fun, kind of a different yeah. take. You know, I like it. I like it. Well, let's let's talk about the Iron Giant, um, Sammy. I'm gonna start with you. So you got to revisit this thing. Initial impressions. Um, what what you think of it? Uh, I've seen this a handful of times now. Uh, I haven't seen it nearly as much as Troy. I'm assuming. Uh, probably not as many as Brad. Assuming what he said a little earlier when we talked about it. I love animated films. Uh, I always have. I'm a big comic book guy, and uh, I have always enjoyed them. What? always strikes me when I fire this thing up is the animation and the way this movie looks. Oh yeah. Um, it, it is like so perfectly drawn and it captures that era of the 50 sci-fi, the innocence and the small town aspects, which I love small town stories. All those things work so well. I don't know if I get caught up in the emotion of it as much as some. I do. Um, but this movie is like a really warm blanket. It really makes me feel good every time I watch it. And it it did the same thing this time. I've seen it now, like I said, a handful of times. And I just smiled. I just I just sat there and smiled. My son ended up not watching with me. He ended up doing something else. But uh, I ended up watching it by myself. And I sat there with a big, you know, big smile on my face. This is right before I watched Sputnik, which uh, gave me horrified faces. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, it was a it was a great Sunday matinee day for me. It was Iron Giant and Sputnik. It was two different sides of the sci-fi coin, and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. But this movie is it. It's almost the definition of nostalgia, but in a good way. I, I, I often will kind of veer away from nostalgia sometimes because I think it can it can kind of color your opinion of things a little bit. But this one always makes no Highlander is a perfect film. Yeah. <laughs> There's a good example where nostalgia can lead you down a path. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And then, and then you end up watching three Highlander films and you're wondering. Nope, there's a, only one exists. There was never yeah. any sequels. Well, well that's, they've tried to tell you that in the first movie. There can be only one. Yeah, I believe him. <laughs> Don't watch any of the other ones. But uh, the it's, it, is, it is that security blanket, that warm blanket of a movie and that's one of the most succinct ways I can put it. It just makes me feel good. It always makes me feel good when I watch this movie, even though it's it's weird watching it this time. Um, the uh, the message of the film didn't feel as heavy handed as I've thought in the past because maybe it's the times we live in. It's been it's been probably a decade since I watched this, so um, it felt a little bit more spot on this time and not as heavy handed as maybe I thought it might have been in the beginning. And we didn't really talk about that when we talked about kind of the precursor of coming up or the prelude to this review. But, you know, Brad Bird had lost his sister to gun violence and he works that into the story here. And uh, that's still quite touching to me, that 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 aspect of the story. And what the kid says is uh, pretty poignant, too. About yeah, gun. there's some subtlety in here that I kind of want to do a little bit of a deep dive. But first, Brad, I, I'm so... I, I think that's a perfect summary of, I don't know, probably the 20th time I watched it. I'm, I'm with you, Sam. It, it feels like a, just a warm, comforting blanket that kind of envelopes you and you get lost in it. I, I think that's an amazing reaction. So Brad, what, what was your experience revisiting this? Yeah, I've, I've seen this countless times. My son really likes giant robots and this has a giant robot in it. Um, yeah. Now, for context, he's four years old. So one of the things I, I appreciate with this film, and I, I know when in 2001 when Shrek was coming out, and bear with me, okay? Okay. Um, you know, people were saying, well, it's got something for adults and it has something for kids. It's got the jokes that only the adults are going to get. It's got the jokes for the kids. And it's fine if you like Shrek, whatever. But this one, you know, has for my son – a kid who befriends a giant robot and they have these bonding experiences and it's cool to look at, you know, for me, you know, it talks about humanity and gun violence and, you know, like the militarism and uh, what makes us human and all these deep complex themes that, you know, you're, you kind of start thinking about like, I mean, there's a line. It's like, it's bad to kill guns, kill. You don't have to be a gun. You are who you choose to be. Like there's this like pre like destination, like pre was it pre destined, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say? You know, like he is created to be a weapon and he chooses to, forego his destiny and become a friend to a kid and ultimately sacrifice himself. Um, it's, it's a powerful movie 
and it's all wrapped up in this beautiful package. Like this movie looks amazing. And I know Troy, you and I and Sammy have all talked about like, if this ever gets a 4k release, it's like, this is oh, day a must one. buy. Yeah. A must buy. It looks amazing. Again, it's just, it is a, it's complex. Like there's a lot going on in this movie. You know, I also am kind of a big fallout video game fan. And this has that aesthetic going on and, and a lot of like the red menace, things like that. Um, <laughs> I was talking to my mom because she was in school in the fifties, the late fifties. And I was asking her like, did they really do like the duck and cover thing for <laughs> atomic bombs? And she's like, Oh yeah. I remember yeah. they were teaching us to hide under our desk. If there was an atomic bomb yep. coming our way. And I was like, you do realize that that would have done nothing. And they're like, well, yeah, it just, it kept people from panicking. You know, it's that yeah. part on, on uh fight club where, you know, you drop the mask down and, People get high off of oxygen to calm them down. It was all about just calming people down. But anyway, yeah. um, you know, you got all that stuff. And that 50s nostalgia is is really kind of cool. And I, I wish we would go back there like this and Back to the Future are really the only kind of movies I, I, I think kind of really kind of marvel in the 50s nostalgia. But I, I you know... <sighs> Every time I watch this, like I kind of have a deeper appreciation for the fact that Brad Bird made a an animated film that's kind of for adults. Like I don't really think this yep. is a kid's movie in a way. Like, yes, my son likes it, but he doesn't really understand philosophically what's going on in this movie. Yeah. Um, he will in 20 years. I'm like, hey, look at this. You love this movie growing up it is on a whole nother level that you had no idea what was going on. Um, and that's the kind of movies that I really appreciate those ones that you go back to 20 years later and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, there was no way I would have picked up on that. So yeah, yeah uh, the, the yeah. animation's beautiful and it's well-made and kids can get into it, but the themes are there that tell you it's deeper. It, I think it's interesting. The point you bring up too about the fifties, cause I've talked about this on our show before the fifties are a very interesting time because it's such an optimistic time in America. Now you can look, you but can with this peel, overall dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can peel back that curtain and there's a lot of problems. There's civil rights problems. There's all kinds of things going on, but we were, yeah, sold. I guess we should, we should say four white people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were sold though. Yeah. As a culture, we were sold on this. You can eat red meat three times a day. You could smoke cigarettes. You can do all of these wonderful things. You can get a job. Mom can stay home and raise the kids. You can have two kids, the white picket fence. And when she doesn't have dinner ready, you're allowed yeah. to just hit her. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's working overtime. Nobody's working Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Then again, Brad's peeling the curtain back real far. Uh, uh, but, you know, I'm just saying that that's, that's what America was selling to us, uh, at least a certain subset of our culture anyway. And, it's often looked back upon fondly. And I think in stories, it kind of works. Obviously, if you have some set of skills in your brain, you know that there was a lot more going on because the 60s come along and the 50s crash like a like a comet right. coming out of the sky. Yeah, the yeah. pendulum swings the other way. Yeah. But uh, I think there's something, and, and, and I, I, I want to be careful how I say this, and maybe it is because I am part of white America, but there was something very safe about what they were selling us in the fifties. And it probably has a lot to do with the fact that we were 
quote unquote, always on the edge of being destroyed. Yeah, it was an overcompensation. Yeah. 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 And, and this movie, I think, touches on everything. Like you said, it, it's a beautiful film. And we've talked about this on on other shows. Sammy, I know you've talked about this. You just talked about this when you reviewed Event Horizon. And when you saw that film the first time, you revisit it. And you have it sort of a change of heart. But yeah. the cool thing about movies is if you get the right film, you can watch it as a kid, you can watch it as a teenager, adult, and you should get something out of it if it's layered correctly. And there's all these different things to it. Like Smokey and the Bandit, yes. Smokey and the Bandit, yeah. Now, you you have to look at this in the right context because this is an, a kid's animated film, so it's not going to you know, peel the curtain back too much and say, well, let's talk about race, let's talk about gender equality, all those other things. Yeah. But it does a really good job of having an underlying menace that uh, comes through in the themes. But I, I got to tell you, so my family loves it. I mean, I've loved this film from day one. It is one of my all-time favorites. I have the the movie poster up. Like my two favorite movie posters are this one and The Rocketeer. And we'll talk about the the production design and why that's important. But man, I, I put this thing on Cameron and I sat down, we're going to watch it soon. Soon as he's, Hey, I'm going to watch the iron giant. He's like, Oh, I'm gonna watch that again. So we sit down and not five, 10 minutes in it. Uh, Tabitha uh, angel hears the movie. They run downstairs and they're like, Oh, you're watching the iron giant. We want to watch the iron giant. So as a family, anytime this is on, I don't care if there's 10 minutes left or if it's at the start of the film, everybody's watching it. Yeah. But as, as soon as the film starts, I just, and, I'm just in that world. And I don't know how you guys are. Typically I'll have a notepad or something because there may be something that pops up in the film and I want to take a note on it, especially if we're, you know, we're talking about it. I, I totally forgot my first viewing this week, totally forgot to take notes because I'm just enjoying it and yeah. loving every second of it. And for, you know, a 90 minute film, it feels like 10 minutes to me. It goes by so quick, Yeah, but I'm so sucked into this film. It's beautiful. It's fun it does pack an emotional punch that for me never doles with each viewing. I think as I get older, it actually gets more powerful. Um, I really like the film that I, I like this film because it respects the audience's intelligence at every age level, both for younger and older viewers. It's, it's not afraid to tackle the big themes that you guys have touched upon. And to me, it doesn't get too heavy handed. I, from day one, have always admired this, that it has big themes, but it doesn't shove them down your throat the way that I think some Disney films or some other animated films where it's like, hey, we're going to take five minutes and we're just going to cram this lesson that we're supposed to teach you while we get to the comedic animated hijinks here in the next 10 minutes. No. This film doesn't feel like it. It feels like the the themes and the beats are organic. Um, and I think that's because the focus is always on the story and the character relationships. I would go so far as to say that this film, regardless of its being an animated film, it's an American classic, in my opinion. It is one of the greatest American films that our studios have ever created because it is so watchable at every age group. And it says so much to, to so many people at each age as well. But the, the one question I want to start with, and this kind of goes back to a comment, Brad, where this came out when you were 16 and you're like, nope, not seeing the Iron Giant because I'm going to go see this other thing. So how do you recommend 
this film to an older viewer who doesn't have kids or their kids are teenagers or who have never seen this film because a lot of people, if, if they were to look at it, any of the box art that covers anything of that nature, I, th I think savvy moviegoers may look at that and go, no, it's, it's not a drama. I'm not into the science fiction, but I think this is a super important American classic that everybody should see. So how would you recommend this thing to somebody who doesn't hit the demographic where it's like, well, I, here's an animated film I can show my kids or something of that nature. Oh man. I, I mean, it's a good movie. You know, it's, it's hard. It's like, you have to sell someone so hard to see something that is a bona fide classic. It's, it's hard to twist their arm that. And I mean, I would say to you, Troy, like, Hey, do you want to watch something that's excellent and looks amazing? Like if, if, if I can't sell it to you like that, like it's hard. Like, I, you know, when I was 16, I was trying to be like this cool guy in yeah. high school. You were I was 16. just learning to drive. I could go yeah. to the movies. I'm seeing The Sixth Sense. I'm seeing The Blair Witch Project. Right. It wasn't until later on when I watched The Iron Giant. And even when I was 16, a lot of this stuff was still a little bit too big for, for my dumb brain. Um, it wasn't until, honestly, it wasn't really until I was having kids or thinking about having kids that I specifically remember, and I'm not answering your question, but I'm just going to go off on this tangent. Is, um, <laughs> well, I think you are answering my question just by describing like, hey, I'm just, you're discovering this when you have children, yes. which is and, the thing that worries I, me a little bit. Like that, that's how people discover this film versus they are going out and just saying, hey, this is something like Citizen Kane, or this is something like It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I, but I, I specifically remember before having kids, Specifically talking to my wife and, and asking her, like, hey, do we want to bring a child into this world with all this gun violence? Like, do you want to live in a world where in the back of your mind, it's not safe to send your kids to school yeah. and it's not safe to go to the movie theater? It's not safe to go to the mall. Like, do we really want to do that? And this film is poignant enough to say, hey, man, like it's tough. It's, it's that one really started to get to me watching this again, of just thinking about that stuff and, and thinking about, I mean, and my kids are, are younger than your all's kids, but I'm sure there was those moments. Well, you to, I don't want to jump in. And, no, but go I, ahead. I have to say, you know, you were talking about your mom and about bomb drills. Well, my kids now go through active shooter drills. Yep. yep absolutely. My wife teaches them. She's a yeah, certified so, teacher for him now. This is the world we live in now. We don't live. We don't. We're not worried about the atomic bomb anymore. We're worried about uh, you know Joe Bob's cousin, who's mad because uh, Joe Biden's in office or something. Right. <laughs> well, and so, it, it's sad. It's sad. It really is sad. And uh, I had the same. Me and my wife had the same conversation, Brad, uh, because I have younger kids as well, an eleven-year-old and a and a five-year-old, a uh, little older than yours, but. Uh, still younger, and Troy's are, are mostly grown, but his son is bigger than anybody that we all know except Charlie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but these are, I think, the thoughts of any good parent uh, because I had I had a guy tell me one time when I had my son, now you will know what fear is. And that was one of the most poignant pieces of information that I'd ever gotten because I didn't know what he was talking about. But, like, everything terrifies me now. Because I'm always worried it's going to happen to him or to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, hey, we <laughs> the Columbine shootings hap happened in April of 1999. This film came out in August of 99. 
So it was extremely topical even for that year. But you had said something, Sammy, that I think it's more topical now because look at how many years we've had this issue. And you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, hearing Tabitha go to take a class as a teacher and then being picked by you know, her school to go to other schools and teach active shooter training to teachers. To me, that is so scary. And, you know, we hear all these stories and all these sort of near close incidents. I mean, nothing will, will shake you up. Uh, and, and this has happened a few times, um, out in, in our area, when you get a phone call and it's a recorded message from the principal that just says, Hey, we're just keeping the parents informed that, you know, security found a gun in a student's locker and there's, you know, nothing's happened, et cetera, et cetera. But I've had that recorded message a couple of times since we've lived out here, because that's, that's exactly what we're facing anymore. So, which again is one of the things where if I'm trying to sell this to somebody who doesn't have kids or anything of that nature, I think those would be the things that I would bring up. I mean, we're talking about an animated film that has these underlying themes. And I wrote some of these down. I don't know if you guys have any of these, but the, the common core here is, you know, what happens if a gun, something like you said, Brad, it was designed to be a weapon of destruction, but what happens when a gun gets a soul? So there's a whole spiritual aspect of this film that just sneaks up on you. Um, and then you talked about the gun violence that occurred with Brad Bird, that obviously this is sort of intertwined within the story elements, et cetera. But you also get questions about what happens after you die. Do you get to choose who you want to be or is it just predestined for you? And you always have to be this way. You're, you're programmed yeah. to be a certain way. And then you also get that whole underlying Cold War paranoia, which at the end of the day really just – it's there and they discuss it, but it's not as huge as that uh, overarching theme of what is what happens if a gun gets a soul and can, can you choose to be something different and then what happens after you die? Uh, to me, those are the elements where if you're like, hey, if you want to watch something that is visually impressive, actually is a lot. I, I forgot how funny it was. I was laughing out loud again as many times yeah. as I see this thing. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But at the end of the day, it's like this thing has some heavy themes and it does an amazing job at bringing that to the forefront of the characters and what's going on with it that few dramatic movies um, even get right. Yeah. In my opinion. But I, I mean, I will, I will openly admit when Max and I watched this together for the first time, I cried at the end. Because it was like that moment of what this film kind of goes through and talking about just, yeah, it it just hit me on a whole other level. And and I don't know if someone who doesn't have kids or doesn't have that, if it's going to hit them on the same level, but it's still a powerful movie and still has a lot to say, even if kids aren't in the picture or kids are never going to be in your picture. It's still speaking a language that everyone can understand. Yeah. So my son is fascinated by the fact that I cried movies. <laughs> uh, he's 11, uh, but I think he's going to be a crier as well. And I'm the kind of guy that will cry at a movie that is sad, but I also cry at a movie that is amazing. Or I will cry at a movie that just makes me laugh my ass off. Or I will cry at a movie that scares me to death. I, I just, I love the form so much. It usually gives me an emotional response. Right. 
Uh, I probably even cry when they're terrible because I wasted my money, but uh, I end up buying it on Blu-ray anyway. You're like, oh, I can't wait to buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah, you're crying <laughs> knowing wife, you're going to buy yeah, that on 4K. No, that, that, yep. They're going to get wife. me twice. Damn it. Twice. <laughs> and maybe even wife. three times. Yeah, that's when my wife starts crying, not me. But uh, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things where he always asked me that because he, uh, he's seen me do it a couple times. He saw me do it at the end of Coco when uh, the little boy sang the song to the grandmother. I, I bawled. Uh, he saw me during during uh, do it during Soul a little bit. He saw me do it. Uh, oh, he seen me do it several times, and he always asked the question why. And I'm like, well, because I get caught up in the humanity of the thing. Yes. And one of the, one of the things that so when people I, I've recommended this film to people only after they have told me, and I'm not recommended to anybody as a parent yet, but I've recommended to people who tell me they like ET. Yeah, because this movie ET is very important, uh, especially for Troy and I's generation. Uh, exactly. Brad, I'm sure you've seen it, but oh yeah, yeah, it's a very important film. But it's also arguably an American classic. Uh, you would you could say, and this movie owes a lot, definitely, to that Amblin ET magic of the early '80s. There's no doubt. The absentee father, or yes. he might be dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, and there's uh, if you remember, there's a very an ever so subtle kind of a gun violence warning in ET as well. Yep, it's a lot more subtle than this, but it's there. And uh, ET, I've seen twice in my 48 years, and I can't watch it because it makes me cry so hard <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I'm a mess. I'm a liquid mess after I watch ET. I own it in every format, and. Uh, <laughs> And I've only watched it twice. I watched it in the movie theater and I watched it on Laserdisc. And those are the only two times I've ever watched it. It's an arm's length, it's an arm's length movie for you. I keep yeah. it at arm's length at all times. I'm with you. I, it, you you said it right, though, Sammy. Like the humanity in this movie, I think, is what makes it yeah. so powerful. Yeah. And it's it's not the end sequence that gets you. Well, it does. But it gets you because of the sequence when they're in the scrapyard and he's introducing the concept of a soul and the iron giant asks, like, am, am I, are you going to die? Am I going to die? Which I don't know if you guys, have, I don't know if Brad has yet, but if you've ever had that conversation with your kids when they're little, it's a heartbreaking conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, what's crazy is why that scene gets me now more than ever is because in, in losing my father, it resonates. So it's yeah. just that whole thing of, um, like you said, Sammy, I, I remember having that conversation with Angel. Cameron hadn't been born yet. Angel was small, and I have to explain all of that. But that gets to me. And then even as many times as I've seen it, when that moment comes, I start choking up a little bit because I know what's coming towards the end. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I ball every time at this. And, and I'm with you guys. There, I'll tell you the film that totally caught my wife off guard where she could not believe I was bawling was uh, Babe. Babe makes me cry. <laughs> it makes me cry. Because when he, at the end of that film, says, that'll do, pig. I'm The waterworks have started because I am so proud of that damn little pig. And I'm so, I just, oh, and I just remember my wife's expression because I'm, I'm just teary-eyed and I'm sobbing in the theater. And she's looking at me, she's like, what in the hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, but the pig, and he, 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 I, I, I was a bumbling idiot. But yeah, that. That, that was the one where pain. I didn't think we were actually going to get married because she thought, nah, I can't live with this guy's crying no. at the pig film. So she immediately took you out for pork chops. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh my God, no. 
But yeah, bacon. this here's some bacon. It's such a touch. That whole sequence when they have that conversation is so touching and it yeah. resonates and taught. And what I really love about it, I, I just want to call something. I think the script is so smart and it's so subtle and it's that scene. You see pictures of his father in the background and you see him put on that sort of uh, pilot's hat and you know, yeah. just based on inferences, his dad was in the military, maybe an Air Force pilot or something. But when he gets to that, hey, this is what my mom said, you know he's relaying a conversation. He's had that conversation that with his, his mom had with him, and he's at his age trying to relay it to his friend. Right. And that is how smart and subtle and just freaking amazing the screenplay is, even outside of the animation, is you get these character details and you get this background of this little boy just through paying attention to what's going on in the background, but then that whole exchange and sequence, you know exactly what happened to his dad. Well, he yeah. even says, like, mom says it's something, When speaking of the soul, he said mom says it's something inside all good things. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, you know, she would say, hey, the soul is in all good things. You know, your father was a good thing. He had a soul. The soul lives on forever and ever. Um, and again, like you said, he's just relaying that information to, you know, giant and telling him that, you know, of course, Hogarth knows, he even knows at this age, because he's had to experience that his humanity is not infinite. Right. Um, and his mortality is something that will someday come to an end, but his comfort is that his soul will live on forever and ever. And coming from a child, man, it's like the, the, the innocence of children in having that line and that, kind of it gets you because again oh yeah it you, does you no know, you know yeah. that that conversation is one that's that the mother has had to have with him yeah like again you you don't think we're watching an animated movie about a giant that uh eats metal right <laughs> and we're talking about mortality and sacrifice yeah. and souls it's which, by the way, how does he digest that metal? Where's where's that metal going? Yeah, where's that? <laughs> That's <laughs> a good those point. intestines like? <laughs> where's that going? Where's that going? Uh, I think I want to want to get this point out there because we don't cover a lot of animated films on our show. Mm -hmm. I think what Disney originally did and why animated films are so important to our culture is, I think that animated films give us hold up a mirror to us as human beings and kind of give us the best versions of ourselves. A lot of times, uh, I think animated films have always done that. And they do that by having a cute deer or having a cute elephant. They give you all these human traits, all of our weaknesses, our, um, our lack of, uh, you know, self-esteem, our fears, all these things. They put those mirrors in front of us. And just like great science fiction, I think animation, it is such a powerful tool for us to look and reflect upon who we are and what we are. And I don't think it gets enough credit for that because it's always seen as this, hey, this lion singing a song. And this one, you know, you got the meerkat and the, the, the boar over here singing a song. And that's all great. And those are fun. And I love that stuff. But I think what animation gives us ultimately is like the purest version of ourselves. And I think that's why it touches so many people. Uh, some people are Disney heads, some people are whatever, but I think that's what animation has always done for me. It always kind of holds up that mirror and says, you know what? 
everything's going to be okay. That's and, that's why the Pixar movies, I think, the the really good Pixar films, they they do it the best. I mean, I love Soul. It was probably my yeah. favorite film, you know, of last year. But I I love that aspect of it, yeah. and I my agree with you. It's weird. I, I never thought any of my kids. We watched it, and I thought the kids didn't like it. My daughter loves it. She she'll watch it every day if she can. Yeah, it's fa- but I I think that's a that's a fantastic observation. I think it does kind of get dumped on because studios will use the animated film and make a lot of money off to the side through its cross promotion, marketing, yeah. etc. But yeah, you yeah. get the right animated film, I think it does everything that you just said, where it sort of holds that mirror up, and if done correctly, like Soul is another one. I don't I don't think it's as good as the Iron Giant, but I really enjoy it. But I do like those films that try to take a theme, script, et cetera, and speak to all ages and give you something more than just the cute animal, um, yes. the funny sequence, et cetera. But it's how they do it, and it's the subtlety of the script and how it's layered in. I, to me, this one, I, I find it very hard to even think of another film that impacts me the way this one does in terms of I walk away and can appreciate it on so many different levels. Most mm-hmm. animated films, you can go, that's great uh, music sequence or visually it's impactful, et cetera. Script's a little lacking. Don't like this character. Comedy's more juvenile. You can kind of nitpick. I have a hard time nitpicking any of this. I mean, we talked yeah. about perfect films and they're, they're few and far between. I would kind of put this into that perfect category, at least for me, because subjectively yeah. it speaks to me at every level and I, I love every frame of it. Do you think if this movie has singing characters, it's not a good movie? I mean, I, I honestly, I think that was a gamble Brad Bird did. And I think it was the right thing to do because I think this film will live forever. Yeah. I'm not saying that singing. I mean, I love the Lion King. I love, uh, I love Aladdin. I'm, I'm a huge Aladdin fan, by the way. Uh, I love those films and I love the songs in them. I love the Aladdin song so much that I even watched the live action remake. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. yeah, I know. I made a billion dollars. Anyway. Um, and this can't make back its money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's amazing, but I think it was a genius. Uh, it's a genius move on their part. Cause I think this, the movie lives on forever because of that. Um, I guess you could argue that if it did have a hit song and it maybe, maybe it would have uh, caught on a little bit more. Maybe that gets more butts and seats quote unquote, but well, it, I mean, I think even in the documentary that talked about, or if you read about this, you know, the studio wanted a animated sidekick dog and you know, all these other elements to it. And Brad bird's like, no, absolutely. No, that I'm concentrating on Hogarth, the iron giant, you know, Annie Dean, these are the core characters. And I'm, I'm focusing on the relationship and the story that I'm telling. And yeah, he's making a film. He's not making no. He, yeah, there's, a squirrel, there's a squirrel yes. that goes in someone's pants, and then there's a deer that is killed, and yep. those are about your all your animals are getting. Well, can, you know so can can we transition? You know what they say about squirrels and pants, right? Yeah, yeah, they like nuts. <laughs> Dad joke number eight. Uh, <laughs> well, it, so we've we've tackled some of the heavy stuff, but I want to talk about the. Con- I continuously forget how funny this thing is. You, you do get the squirrel up the pants and, you know, excuse me, folks, and he's zipping and the squirrel comes out. Um, but my favorite sequence, and I, I laugh hysterically every time, is is Hogarth drinking espresso. And that and I think Brad Bird actually animated that whole sequence. It is yeah. absolutely hysterical. But I love, I mean, to me, the funniest comedy comes from 
Hogarth trying to convince Dean to, you know, keep the giant. You get that 37 minutes later. The express, just their exchange is fantastic. And when Kent is keeping tabs on Hogarth and you get that whole little, it's kind of like a musical montage where he's like, hey, sport, hey, you know, <laughs> he's going through all like the colloquial names for kids and everything. And uh, that that's a lot of fun. But man, this thing is, yeah, it has some heavy themes, et cetera, but it's, it's pretty damn funny too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Christopher McDonald's, you know, the Kent Mansley character, it's a it's a ruthless, in a lot of ways, a bad guy. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a... Yeah, as antagonists go, this guy is a grade-A antagonist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of surprising, too, for an animated film because they don't really... I guess he has some type of closure as a character, but, I mean, he really goes as far as you can go. And uh, that's... He's willing that's to kill a kid. Surprising. Yeah, <laughs> that always surprises me. Every time I watch this film, I'm always like, wow, he, he really goes there. <laughs> well, and he doesn't have a redemption either. Like yeah. in a Disney movie, that guy would come back and say, I'm sorry, I learned my lesson. Well, you know what would happen friends. in a Disney movie? That squirrel would come back and crawl back up his pants and he would smile. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. No, he he has no redemptive. But I'll say this. This is what makes Christopher McDonald so good in that role. Uh, is shooter McGavin. Well, so here's the thing is I hear that voice and he's, he's, you start thinking shooter McGavin and that's the role. Grease two, by the way. Don't even say that on this show. We'll get to grease two someday. We'll have a throwdown on that one. But I I love the fact that McDonald can bring a different angle to this. He's got that shooter McGavin voice and maybe attitude to it, but he's Mm -hmm. still pompous. And the fact that he does that sequence when he's trying to outsmart, Hogarth and you know try to get on his side and be likable and win him over but Hogarth sees right through him so McDonald is good at playing this role but what I appreciate is McDonald's good at adding a different like flavor to this role because this could have just been another shooter McGavin but it's not yeah yeah it's a it's a dark character for an animated film though yeah um I have to say I agree with you. I mean, what did you think of the other performances since we're kind of talking about that? I mean, let's talk about Eli uh, Marenthal as Hogarth. What's your impression? I mean, he's he's at the core of this thing, and he carries yeah. the entire film. I'm surprised he doesn't, like on his credits, that he doesn't have more voice acting work because I think, I mean, he's the linchpin of the film, and you know, kid actors can always make or break films. Yes. And he makes this, again, he sells those lines about, mortality and souls and explaining humanity to a robot. And you believe every second of it almost to the point where you're like, this, is he pulling in on some personal experience or something like it? It's, it's pretty spot on how touching this character is. It just his, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to say that like his childlike wonder, like he has that in droves, but it's never annoying um, you know, I, he's it, I, well, he's childlike wonder with some wisdom. I mean, that, yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, he, he's hard. He's hardened. He's had to, you know, his yeah. mom, he's at home by himself at nights, um, because of the fact that again, like Sammy was saying, single mom working at a restaurant, paying that mortgage in that truck, you know, that could happen in 1950s. We were all good. The economy was great. I bet he's going to go to college. She's going to send him to college on that waitressing uh, job too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those students don't want to work 40 hours a week. So you could go to school. Yeah. I'm sitting there thinking 
who works 40 hours a week anymore? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, he, I, I think his performance is amazing. Um, I'm surprised Jennifer Aniston doesn't do more voice work. I thought she was great. Oh, yes. She's really good. I think the whole voice cast is great. I think everybody in the film is great. But I'm going to give a hot take here. Okay. I don't think Vin Diesel matters one iota to this movie. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, think, he's a robot. <laughs> I, yeah, I think if you give me a voice box and something else, I could... I'm, I, well, I'm not going to say I could do it, but I think I could do it. I mean, I, I don't think he's very important to the film. Uh, I don't think he's very important to the group character either. But again, I'm not knocking Vin Diesel. I just don't think it's that big a deal. It's a paycheck. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I played- he, if he's famous now, but if he had never you know, gotten anything after Pitch Black, would we mm-hmm. even really care it was Vin Diesel's voice at that point, no, right? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, he's good. I, the yeah. thing I've always it's liked fine. about his voice is it's so distinctive. So I'm, I'm glad that they yeah. pick somebody with that voice and they can use it. But I agree with you. I'm, I'm sure there's other voice actors who could pull that off. Yeah, they could have picked anybody really, in my opinion. But that, it's a nitpick. It's not, again, I'm not knocking Vin Diesel. I'm not, I'm not a Vin Diesel hater. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's much of a performance. I think it's mostly just, in comparison to Aniston McDonald, um, oh, Eric Connick Jr., well, John Mahoney. All they're these, not asking yeah. him to do a lot of heavy lifting. No, no, no. Even though his character is doing a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> yes. Well, and I'll say this. <laughs> you, you mentioned this too, Brad. Um, so Eli being at the core, having that childlike wonder with a little bit of hardened life experiences. And, and you talked about this too, Sammy. So you compare this film to E.T., I think Eli's performance is as good as Henry Thomas and E.T. And to me, both this one and E.T., it it relies on that performance. Like, you could either be too melodramatic, you could be too sappy, you could be an annoying kid. You got to play that character just right. And Henry Thomas nails it in E.T. And I think Eli nails it in The Iron Giant. Like, I'm so... If you're giving an MVP to anybody, I'm with you guys. Everybody in here is fantastic. Yeah. But Eli just is such a standout because how many of these child actors who do this type of role do you kind of go, well, I like it, but there's this aspect that was too melodramatic. or And I know it's a combination of scripting and what Brad Bird is getting out of the performance. Mm-hmm. But, um, man, Eli is so good in this. And, and this film, I think, sinks or swims based on his performance. Yeah. The parallels between this and E.T. are, I mean, they're, they're spot on. I mean... I'll go on record right here on the show and say that Henry Thomas's performance in E.T. is one of my favorite child performances of all time. He felt like a kid I knew. He felt like me in 1983. Was that 83? I think it was 83. 82? Might have been 82. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Top man. 82, 83. Somewhere in there. Maybe it was 84. When did, when did the thing come out? Was that? Didn't, uh, didn't E.T. derail the thing? So it was 82, yeah. right? So 82. Yeah. But he felt like a kid I knew. The kids in E.T. always felt like kids I knew. Yeah. And it felt like that was my childhood. It was very similar to that. Uh, I had a mom and a dad, but uh, I I had a lot of turmoil at home, too. And I just I kind of would dive into my my worlds to get away from the turmoil. You know, my science fiction, my comic books, my movies. Well, that's what this kid does. Well, I have a question for you guys. Have you ever taken the Twinkie and the whipped cream and stuck it in there and just loaded it up? Have you ever tried no, that? No, but apparently that's a real thing. 
Yeah, every time I see this film, I'm like, "Ooh, I want to try that just to see yeah. what it's like." But I haven't yet. I, so I have never done. Yeah, I have never done it. But my copy of Midnight Reach Around does have a picture of that going on. Oh, okay, so. good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's whipped cream going inside that Twinkie or what? Yeah, uh, it looks like it. <laughs> Troy. Yes. Can I play devil's advocate? Yes, you can, sir. Okay. Um, you said this is a perfect film. I will wholeheartedly disagree. Okay. I think the last two minutes of this film ruin it for me. Oh. Not ruin the film, but I think the whole sacrifice yourself to save this town um, sort of resurrection, if you will, very, there's a lot of, a lot of like Jesus Christ parallels going on as well. Um, you know, he does choose <laughs> yeah. Superman who is like the yeah. purest, closest thing to, you know, anyway, that is definitely a Christ parable. Superman is definitely a Christ parable. No yes. Doubt. Yep. Um, the fact that they show the giants forming back together and you get a big smile at the end really sticks with me to a point where I, I love this film. I love it, but I, I wish they didn't show that. I wish you just thought that the giant sacrificed himself for the town. That's my only criticism of the film. I don't like the last two minutes. So may I play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate? <laughs> Sure. So you wanted E.T. to die at the end of E.T.? <laughs> you wanted white, crusty E.T.? Yeah. Why? Who wants white, crusty E.T.? Powdered donut E.T.? When you say you wanted him, you can't kill E.T. Why would you kill the Iron Giant? He, I, no, he sacrificed himself. So did E.T. I know, but <laughs> why does it work so, in ET and it doesn't work here for you? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. So I, I'm a little bit on the fence on this because I partially agree with Brad. I don't think it's a per perfect movie. Uh, I do think it's a very, very good movie, a very good film, very solid, uh, amazing piece of work. I feel like you could have ended on the little finger or the little tail, or let's just say it was a finger or tail. God knows what it really was. It's a bolt. It's a bolt yeah. for his jaw. I, you could have just ended on that bolt moving, fade to black. And I think it, you got the same. I think you got the same impact without the smiling face. I think the smiling face also is offensive to me as well. It's a bit Disney. Hey, everything's going to be okay in this world that they live in. That's messy and people die and fathers are gone and war is going on and threat of nuclear Holocaust is happening every day to end on the smiling face of the giant who just sacrificed himself to this little small town. I don't know. I just, it, it never has sat with me well at all. Uh, and I, I can't, I can't criticize your view of that. I totally get that, especially for what this is going for in terms of the themes and everything else. But yeah. for me, I, I still find it as a perfect Cause film. Because should, shouldn't his soul, like if he believes he has a soul, shouldn't it live on forever? Shouldn't they just believe that his that's, soul lives on? That's exactly where I was going, is that that concept of the soul and just saying it lives on, I think for an animated film that is going to have a layer of sort of a kid's audience to it, I don't know how you would convey that outside of how it ended. Meaning I know he did the sacrifice and everything else, but if the whole idea is that if you do something good and the good continues to live on, 
I think that's what that film is trying to end on is show you this image and show, you know, him being pieced back together and him continuing after that sacrifice. Now you can sit here and debate and go, well, they could have done it better. They could have explained the soul or something from a more artistic perspective. I think it works for me at the level that it does. And again, thematically, it sticks to what Hogarth is telling the Iron Giant in terms of what happens after you die. And I think visually it represents that. But it's a combination of that and also from a, uh, again, I would go back to the E.T. thing. Like, you can't kill E.T. You you can't kill the Iron Giant. (laughs) It's just, for for this level of film, you just can't do that. And I, Mm. I think it then... If, if you do anything outside of the way it ended now, I like Sammy's idea of, Hey, give me a hint that that's going to happen, but you can't have sacrifice and go fade to black and you live. And all of a sudden you grew up with the death of your father. Now the death of the giant. No, no, no. That now we got an entirely different film. And I think it loses some of that charm. Yeah. Um, I'm always, I'm always surprised it goes that far. I'm always surprised that it ends with a face. Yeah. Again, I, I, I don't know why, but I guess this is that I've always kind of wanted the ending to just be, you know, that piece of that bolt that he has and he lays it on the table and yeah, he knock it on the window. I, yeah. I need to see the face because uh, if not, I'm, I'm going to be crying all night. on the train accident, Troy? What about all their souls? Nobody died on the train accident. There should have there should have been mass murders <laughs> on that train. When it oh is derailed God. and all those people, there should be bodies <laughs> everywhere. And that blood is on the Iron Giant's hands. Nope. No. Well, I think in the original uh, script, the Iron Giant was supposed to step on the deer and yes. even yeah, they were true. looking at that and going, we, we can't do this. We have to come up with a different way to kind of bring this topic up. So I'm, yeah. sh- I'm sure in the cha- train sequence, there was a version that, you know, 50 people <laughs> were mangled to death. But um, real quick, I, I, I know we're running, you know, about our time, but I want to talk about the art design for a second. So we I, I don't know about you guys. I can't say this enough how gorgeous it is. It is a Norman Rockwell painting at times sort of come to life in an animated form. And I think it works visually from that perspective. I love the design of the Iron Giant. And here's where I was going with the Rocketeer uh, and the Iron Giant. So, Sammy, I think you know this. Do you want to share this piece of trivia about those two films? Oh, I know too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I think anybody, any lover of movies may know this, but I don't know if he's credited. Uh, in the film or not. I think but he is. Is he? As yeah. designer, uh, yes. Yeah, Joe Johnston, who is a uh, well-known uh, director and uh, well-known Hollywood. Uh, he's worked with a lot of big people. He's uh, real tight with uh, Spielberg and mm-hmm. Lucas, and he kind of comes from that world and stuff. But he designed, they had an original design of the Iron Giant, which was Pretty, pretty goofy, actually. I think they, they show it in that documentary. And I was like, yeah, they showed a bunch of different variations they were looking yeah. at that just didn't. Why they didn't go with that? Yeah. For whatever reason, Joe Johnston has always had a really a good eye for simplifying things, and he uh, he helped design the creature, so in turn helped design the poster, and then of course Joe Johnston, I believe, designed the Rocketeer suit, and of course he directed the Rocketeer, right? Yes. Uh, so he is attached to both these, and I thought it was interesting when I when you put that up that picture you sent to me, I thought, well, wow, Joe Johnson means a lot to Troy, a lot more than maybe even Troy knows. <laughs> well, I, Hey, I, we will talk about the Rocketeer and another, that will be another film that I will for gush the, over. Well, for the record, I, I love the Rocketeer. I, I, I love it more than this movie actually, but, but I'm a huge fan of the Rocketeer as well. Yeah. I've never been able to figure out why nobody 
except maybe a handful of folks, you included, love The Rocketeer. I don't understand why that movie. I, I don't know either. And, like and I'm with you. So I don't know if I love it more. So The Iron Giant and The Rocketeer are my, if I were picking like films of that are going to bring a nostalgic like 50s air with adventure or comedy to it, th- those are my two picks. Mm. Um, and I'd put them up against movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark even. Uh, but I, I love, love the Rocketeer. I, I, anytime they produce something Rocketeer related, I buy it. Um, I think I'm not positive, but I think Joe Johnston may have worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark of the Indiana Jones stuff too. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I loved, I loved him directing Captain America. Um, I mean, he's, yeah. I, I like him as a director, but I love him as a, as a designer. And, yeah. uh, if you follow us on any of the social media, I posted in my office, there are two movie posters that are my absolute favorite. And what's funny is Joe Johnston sort of designed the look for each of them. So one of them is the iron giant. I love the poster for it. It's got, you know, it came from outer space. It's, it looks like a fifties sci-fi film. And then you have this elegant looking advanced poster of the rocketeer, which is just art deco to the, the, I mean, it's beautiful, but you put those posters, um, sort of next to each other, they're both flowing in a different direction and they just match up. So I don't know if that was intentional, but if you look at those posters, they look like they belong next to each other. They're so gorgeous. The serendipity of the Joe Johnson thing is kind of baffling to me because I'm looking through his credit right now and I realized that I asked to be on another show with you guys and it happens to be a Joe Johnson film. Yeah. It's kind of blowing my mind right now. Like it's, I don't it's think people, like, wow. yeah, we could, we could, we could talk a long time about Joe Johnston because I don't think people understand how influential he yeah. is behind the scenes. And like you said, he's worked with some powerhouses, but when you sit down yeah. and kind of look at the visual design component of what he's worked on, I mean, the guy's a freaking artistic genius in my opinion. Yeah. Production designer on the Ewok uh, TV movies, uh, art department on Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Yeah. Did he direct um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah, that was his debut film. Yeah, his okay. debut. I mean, just think about the the art direction and the effects in in that movie. I mean, that movie definitely has a style to it. Yeah, um, visually. And the other thing yeah. about Iron Giant, I, I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate is it is a combination of CGI. So the giant is CGI, and then there's two mm-hmm. D animation. And the thing that always knocks my socks off about this is they blend so well together in this film. And I don't know about you guys, but most of the time when you're putting hand-drawn animation with CGI, it really sticks out. Like the both worlds don't play nice um, in the wrong hands. And I think Brad Bird just blends these two beautifully to where the Iron Giant doesn't necessarily look hand-drawn, but he doesn't look totally CGI. And then there are elements of the hand-drawn stuff that kind of look CGI. So, I mean, that blending and how they shoot those sequences and putting together, I I think it's just perfect. I mean, it's a truly gorgeous film. But it also helps that the giant is from another world, so he can look different. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Like he can yeah. look otherworldly because he yeah. is. His body can his the geometry and architecture of his body can make no sense. Yeah, right. and and they get away with it because of that. Yeah, they couldn't. That animation going at the end where he's full machine, like cool full weapon of mass destruction mode, and everything spinning and the lights and all the weapons like that. You couldn't. Your your time budget to animate that would would not let you do that, but doing it in CGI you can kind of cheat it a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, you'll talk to any animator and they say, "Well, we can make anything look good. It's always time. It's time always and money. Time. 
So what else? Um, I, I feel like I've spent so much time just, um, gushing over this thing, but I also don't want to miss any of the critical notes or, or thoughts that you have on the film. I looked at a lot of one star review on Amazon and guess what they all have in common. Um, I'm not going to be mean. <laughs> <laughs> the ending? <laughs> no. The political agenda of Hollywood trying to teach anti-gun, uh, anti-military oh, philosophies. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting yep. and not surprising. Yep. That's too bad, folks. Um, yeah. Because here's I think the- if you walk away from this saying those things, I think you might have missed the whole point. Uh, yeah, because a big fat point in the movie is a decision. It's not that there doesn't have to be these things. It's how you use them. Yeah. yeah I, I was going to say, I think this film is much smarter. I don't see this as a total anti-gun, like throw them all, burn them away. I think it goes down to that point you're talking about, Sammy. It's what decision are you going to make in the light of the information that you have and how are you going to react to it? So you get one character that reacts in the most heinous possible way that you can when a threat occurs or a perceived threat. And then you have the choice that the Iron Giant makes at, you know, his pivotal moment. So I I don't know if it's about like, hey, let's just take all the guns away from everybody and throw them in the ocean or something. But you said it beautifully, Sammy. It's about the choice you're making as a character and at the time that you face adversity or challenge. Well, we Dean all- is always making it a point to say, like, yeah. if you provoke the Iron Giant, that's when he attacks. If you leave him alone, you'll be fine. Yeah. It's, there's always that the, the 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 equation is he's got to be provoked. Yeah. Um, to me, there's a, a, yeah, there's a deeper ahead. element to it as well. I mean, uh, making art, the uh, the Dean, the that's his name, the Harry Connick Jr. character's name is Dean. 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 Yeah. 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 Making art. Art is about making choices. Uh, making decisions and sticking to them just like I could be a bad person or I could be a good person. It's all there. Unfortunately, some folks just see things on the surface. It's kind of a shame. Yeah. I, I still, I, I just can't wrap my around my head around the 4% who wouldn't, you know, give this uh, a positive review. Um, you know, and, and, you know, at the end yeah, of the day, even if, even if you don't like it, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, even if you don't like the majority of it, I mean, I don't know how you, I mean, it's just, it's so well told. I just don't know. I don't know anybody that doesn't like this movie. I'm, and I, I'm probably going to keep it that way. <laughs> I mean, it's a, witness uh, test. a good, witness it, test. it is, but I, to me, I don't know about you guys. You can have a movie that has some type of messaging and I may not totally agree with it, but it's the delivery of it. And does it pose it as a question? Does it play both yeah. sides? Is it, I mean, how is it presenting that? And at the end of the day, if I agree or disagree, I want to gauge that story and everything on the merit of the presentation and the story. And, and did it make me pause and think, and maybe at the end I go, nah, I still don't agree with it. I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, thumbs yeah. down the film. I, for that. I make this argument all the time. I love violent movies. I'm not a violent guy. Right. Because I decide not to be. Big idea, guys. <laughs> Boom, there it is. I love movies with guns. I don't own a gun. Yeah. And you're from Kentucky. Yeah, I was born with a gun. I had to sell it. <laughs> I was gonna they say, gave you one out of the womb. They're like, here you go. Here's a gun. Here's your bottle. Here's your gun. <laughs> I want Mountain Dew in that bottle. Yeah, yes. 
It, oh, you know, I thought it, it was gonna be big red. Sorry. <laughs> it's just it's ski actually. No, yeah. it, it's it's amazing. It's amazing to me that people quantify or simplify things down to that level. Uh, you know, I love a lot of things that I don't do in my personal life. I love watching movies where people get killed with machetes. I don't <laughs> do that. Right. But I love watching it. It's choice. It's choice. Yeah. Yeah. And I trust other people who watch those films and I go to their house and I stay for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you and I'm murdered. still here. You, there you go. <laughs> Wacky. Listen, I think it's time for the question. Um, I'm going to start with you, Sammy. I, I think we all know where we're going to land on this, but uh, final thoughts on 1999's The Iron Giant. Is it a bomb? No, it's not a bomb. It is a it is a classic American animated film. I, I don't know where it stands in the pantheon of animated films uh, made in America, but I might say it's the best non-Disney animated film ever made. Ooh. Uh, there might be some Disney films I might pick over this. Um, but man, if I had to do it, if I had to sit down and do a top 10, this would probably be in there. I think it's a real shame and a real, it, it just missed its window. It's just one of those things. But thankfully, movies live forever. Right. And here we are talking about it 20 years later. And uh, that's, that's, that's awesome, right? I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Oh, I agree. Brad, the Iron Giant, is it a bomb? I would agree with pretty much everything Sammy said. I am looking at a list of the greatest non-Disney animated films. They have The Road to El Dorado. Okay, this list sucks. Um, no, wow. the, the Iron <laughs> Giant. Dream, DreamWorks yeah, film. <laughs> the Iron Giant is a classic film, not just animated. It's classic. It is a gut punch, um, if, especially if you're a parent, but even not. I mean, it's it's still saying a whole lot, <laughs> kind of wrapped up in like a cool 50s robot movie. Um, you know, like that film, was it super big six, big, big six, big hero six, big, big hero, hero six, mm-hmm. you know, borrows kind of a lot from this movie, you know, substitute the brother for the dad. And that's what this movie is. So, you know, it's pretty timeless in its storytelling. Um, yeah. And we've, we've said it, but it looks so good. Like <laughs> you can't undersell the fact that this thing looks amazing yeah. and it was made in 1999. It's over 20 years old. It looks like it came out yesterday. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. This thing's not a bomb. Um, I, I know it was conceived and sort of designed as a kid's animated film with some layers to it, but personally, and, and we've talked about this, I put it up there with movies like ET, the Godfather, it's a wonderful life. Citizen Kane. I mean, I don't look at this thing as an animated film as much as it's a classic American film with just an amazing story. I think adults can appreciate this thing as a, as a true work of art. It, it has this spiritual theme that sneaks up on you that continues to surprise me even as many times as I've seen this thing. And what I really like about it, it's not heavy handed or preachy, which to me is kind of rare for, for films that go down this path, right? It's sweet. It's low key. I'm just in awe of the craftsmanship of the film and how Brad Bird makes you feel genuine emotion for these characters. I just can't ever get enough of this film. And I think the biggest testament is it draws you in and you forget everything around you 
and you just live in this 90 minute world and you feel something. And that is like the, the biggest compliment you can give to any film. So, and, and for me, it is a perfect film. I mean, I, I know I throw that around and it's hyperbole and you're like big trouble in little China. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. These are the films that influenced me. These are the films that still touch me. And, And there, there are a list of films that, I'll be in my nineties. I'll be 105. I will watch the iron giant and I will love it. And by that point I will have seen it like a gazillion times. Yeah. But every time I, I come to this film, I'm, I'm just in awe of it. So it, it's one of my personal favorites. I know you're going to be pushing snake eyes on people in the next 10 years. That we have conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might, I, we may talk about that. That, that thing's bombing, but, uh, that, yeah, that's my that's my love of G.I. Joe and and being an 80s kid. I mean, I got yeah. I got a rep, right? My son liked it quite a bit. I don't know if I told you that, but he, he liked it more than I did. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get him on the show. It'll, it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be we'll we'll do it. Okay. You can go back and watch all too. I'm like, oh God. Oh, we're doing that grease too. We're look, we're doing that in person and it'll be Brad and I versus my wife and Sammy. And we're just gonna make that a full on debate. So we're going to pull out, we're going to get like the Harvard, Harvard debate squad to referee the debate of Greece too. But, uh, we may even turn that into a fundraiser. I don't know, but that's going to be an epic podcast. And Brad and I are going to win that argument. Greece two is a bomb. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you and Tabitha can plan all you want. You're not going to win against Brad and I on this one. Don't be so sure. All right. <laughs> Uh, so Brad, not too bad at making my points. Uh, no, you, I'll give you that. You, you, you convince me of so many things. It's crazy. Yeah. I walk in. I don't, like, know if, I don't know. I don't know if I can convince you on Greece too, but I would definitely give it a shot. If anybody can, maybe you, cause tap it after all these years. No, uh, uh-uh. nope. <laughs> so Brad, uh, we're going to continue our theme of science fiction animated films and you get to pick the next one. So which one are you picking? Yeah, you guys remember in the early 2000s when Hollywood thought that all actors were going to be replaced by CGI photorealistic um, actors? I I thought Um, they had been with the latest Fast and Furious. Yeah, well, the catalyst for that was a film called Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, which is from 2001. Yeah, Uh, yeah. was uh, one of those points in time where people thought, Oh, this is the future of Hollywood. We don't need these actors. We just need their voices and we'll do photorealistic CGI. And then this film came out and that theory went down the toilet. So we are doing (laughs) that one next week. Nice. Fun fact about that movie. I was in Hawaii the years, one of the years that was being produced and got to tour the studio while they were making that movie. Really? Yeah. So what what did you see exactly? Um, I didn't let me see any of the film. They just showed me some drawings. <laughs> oh, okay. So and I thought, well, this is good. This could look cool. I didn't see any of the film whatsoever. They would. They were very secretive about that. But they showed some drawings, and they just said, "This is where we work." And they, had, I seen a whole bunch of computers. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> wow. But at the time, you know, it's like one of those things where you feel like you're touching just a little bit of, you know, Hollywood or something. You know. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to doing a bit of a deep dive because I have not seen that film since it came out on DVD. I remember seeing it in the theaters because it was, I saw one, it in the theater as well. it was one of those trailers. When you see it, you go, Oh my gosh, I have to see it because the talk at the time was look at the boundaries they're pushing with computer animation. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to go back and revisit that and even yeah. look at the behind the scenes stuff. 
I remember I didn't see it in the theater. I remember seeing it finally though, and I remember thinking, animation will never look better than this. <laughs> wow, isn't it? That's one of those things, right? I mean, I know me, me, all three of us play video games. Yeah, we've all had those thoughts, right? Yeah, games will never look better than this, and then five years later, you're like, games will never, never look, look better, better than, than this, this. Yeah, every five years. <laughs> Well, Brad, if anybody wants to send us their opinion of the Iron Giant or send us some bomb recommendations, how do they get a hold of us? That is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Not awesome. on TikTok. I don't know what that is. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> come on. We're just some dads here. We're not we're yeah, not gonna figure this TikTok thing. We're lucky we're to about Iron Giant. Yeah. We talked two hours about Mulan one time. We've we go some weird places. I love the fact we went from just, you know, 50, 60 sci-fi trivia to sharing all the movies that make us cry <laughs> to <laughs> like eight or nine dad jokes. Uh, it, you can't ask for a better episode. Um, Sammy, always a pleasure. Every time you come on the show, everybody has to know about the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. But do you want to give him a quick reminder? Uh, yeah. Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. You can find us over at anchor.fm slash ggtmc. Uh, that's kind of our home base nowadays. Uh, you can sign up over at Anchor and send us some voicemails. You can listen. You can find all of our episodes over there. There's 600 and something odd episodes. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> and uh, we've covered a lot of films. I mean, uh, we really have. And uh, I'm always kind of blown away by, you know, the fact that some of these films now have legitimate releases, such as The Wraith, which I just got in the mail this past week. Yeah. It- I'm just blown. I'm telling you, if anybody goes down that rabbit hole and starts listening to episodes, and I talk about this all the time, that is one of the few podcasts that I will sit there and listen with a notepad because you, Todd, will start listing films, Um, especially, you know, I know you talked about the segment of like what we watched and you sometimes go pretty deep. Um, Other times, you know, you got voicemails, et cetera, but I'm telling you just between that segment and all the movies that you reference when you're talking about a film uh, my, my Amazon, uh, account loves you, but my bank account yeah. doesn't. So yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we love movies and, uh, I don't think you do this unless you love movies. I really don't. And the great thing about movies is we have this huge library of films, uh, from all over the world. And, uh, there's not even a way we could, I mean, I'm not going to see every movie, right? I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> You're doing your damnedest. I'm going to do my damnedest. That's right. <laughs> Well, I, I know you're a busy guy with that podcast and, you know, the family duties, job duties. I'm so appreciative when you just take a couple hours and, and come hang out with us. Um, it it, it is amazing just to just to get some Sammy time with us. So yeah, I love and it. if you like Sammy talking to Troy and I, yeah, we're also going to be talking about the show Cowboy Bebop coming up very soon. So look for that. Yeah, yeah. I got to watch my episodes. Yeah. I haven't watched the second episode yet. I've watched the first one twice. Yeah. So that's right around the corner and you'll get, if you like the three of us, you're going to get more of us. So there you go. Yeah. Internet. Take that. <laughs> Just a bunch of dads talking about cowboy bebop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, listen, but no, I, I just want to say it's always great to be on the show. I love being on the show. Um, uh, I, I, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, it, it reminds me of the old days of our show and uh, I hope you continue for as long, if not longer than we do. Well, so. if, if you're coming on the show, we're, we're going to keep doing it. So it's, yeah. it's an excuse for us to get the same time. Anytime you ask me, I will come on. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm, we, we've got a couple we're, we're pointing out for you. So we can't wait. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, listen, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. We are so happy you just you know took the time to listen to us talk about the Iron Giant. Please reach out to us. Give us your movie bomb recommendations, and I hope you have an awesome day. Don't lose your head.